This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by Comic Book Click at tpublic.com. Visit tpublic.com slash user slash comic book click to get exclusive one-of-a-kind merchandise including shirts, stickers, and phone cases all designed by us. Get your hands on the latest and greatest in comic book merchandise by going to tpublic.com slash user slash comic book click. And remember, you, yes you, are worthy. out there in comic book land. My name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don, and if you're listening to this, you could only be here for one reason, and it's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast, brought to you by Comic Book Click, and as always, I am never alone. Sir, please introduce yourself. I am Dan, the comic book man. Today I'll be Dan, the comic book TV movie man. <laughs> Dan, the comic book TV movie man, but more importantly, you know, we've been going through a lot here at the Major Issues Podcast. For instance, last week, was our second annual, meaning that we're officially two years old. My God. The Terrible Twos. It's time for the Terrible Twos. It's time for the Terrible Twos. And uh, in, in looking back in our retrospective, Dan, your very first episode on this podcast was covering a particular movie created in 19, oh, 2009 by director Zack Snyder, and that was Watchmen. My very first podcast episode of any kind of podcast that I've ever recorded. That was and, my first. And two years later, we're here to cover... What seems to be the sequel um, of it, Watchmen on HBO, the series that is currently being, oh, that just finished. Literally, I sat with you as you watched the finale episode, which is always a blast to do. <laughs> um, not to mention that we, uh, we'll get into this in a bit. We have a bit of a tender spot for watching Damien Lindelof's shows oh, together. Yeah. <laughs> um, and watching those bombs drop. So, um, I it's like if you've seen cool. enough of like Lost and the Leftovers, you can tell oh, it's going to be a Lindelof bomb right here. Yeah, really, really good. Really, really good stuff. Um, yeah, so how crazy, how coincidental that we will be tackling Watchmen today. Um, usually we go episode by episode, but I've um, found uh, a quasi-timeline from Slate.com. I think tackling things chronologically because this story and Lindelof's, majority of Lindelof's storytelling is not linear. Yeah, not at all. It, it, um, I'll get into it in a bit, but it's kind of what inspired him to do non-linear storytelling. Yeah, I figured that uh, in, in uh, Leftovers, there was a couple of particular episodes that literally all fall on the same day, but from different characters' perspectives. Like when Nora goes to New York yeah. and gets that hug from Wade or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There, I think the whole Matt incident is happening during at the same exact time. Like Right, and and it just compounds what you think you know. Um and I guess we should talk a little bit about Damien Lindelof off the top. So, uh, Watchmen is an American superhero drama television series that continues the eighteen the nineteen eighty seven DC comic series Watchmen, created by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. The TV series was created by Damien Lindelof for HBO, with Lindelof as an executive producer and writer. Lindelof likened the television series to a remix of the original comic series. Uh, while the series is technically a sequel which takes place 34 years after the events of the comics, within the same alternative reality, Lindelof wanted to introduce new characters and conflicts to create a new story within the Watchmen continuity, rather than creating a reboot. Oh, this show is so Watchmen to the tone. 
Like down it's to crazy, the nitty yeah. and gritty. It's really Watchmen. It, it is crazy because I was listening to the. I didn't get done with all the episodes because there was uh, three episodes of the watch the official Watchmen podcast, um, where Damon Lindelof talks about like the beginnings of trying to create this um, story, and so he talks about like how much of it was a challenge to try to like sequelize the graphic novel because it's one of his favorite of all time, like. He credits Watchmen as his origin story as a writer. <laughs> well, what a, I mean, <laughs> I guess yeah. right. And so, like, and you, I mean, you can tell, like, the mystery boxes, the you know, because the, the Watchmen is mostly about like what are we building to, and also what who's killing. You think that somebody's killing masked heroes? Who killed the comedian? What's going on with this mystery? And while this is happening, other stories are unfolding, and you don't really realize the importance of those stories until all the dots connect. And that's very Damon Lindelof. Yeah. Uh, um, so check this out, right? So when brainstorming, he wrote down a series of words that he felt described the graphic novel. And he zeroed in on one he felt was the most important, which was original. Um, the graphic novel was incredibly original. And so he had to come up with something. You know, he wanted he wanted to invoke those kind of feelings here. But that created a own little mini paradox, right? Because you can't both be a continuation and be original. So he had to try to find some middle ground. And so he read some writings by ta Coates, who you know has um, spoken a lot about the social injustice, about um, African-Americans in America. Also wrote some killer issues of Black Panther to tie back into comics. Um, and then roughly around the time when he was approached to do this, Black Panther was being talked about coming out. And it was a big deal. And so he started thinking about like Wakanda. And the concept of Wakanda, right? And so he starts thinking, like, damn, if Wakanda was real, if there was, like, a secret organization in Africa that had crazy, you know, technology and all this other kind of stuff untouched by um, colonization, people would probably destroy it. <laughs> people yeah. would probably yeah. people would probably destroy it. And in thinking of that, he was, you know, the light bulb went off in his head because although that fictional... Um, city of Wakanda where black people were thriving um, is fictional. Like I said, again, the very first scene that this opens up with is the Tulsa <laughs> massacre, yeah. which was an actual thing that happened in which the city of Tulsa, Oklahoma, I was very prominently black, at black businesses, um, you know, yeah, they were um, called the Black Wall Street. It's called Black Wall Street, right. And so very, you know, the uh, wealthy and educated and business owners and all that kind of stuff. And they came through and they bombed and killed and murdered and burned the records. And it's like it never These happened. These were cops. These were military men. This it's was... not even 100 years old. People talk about like we've seen World War Two, World War One movies over and over again. How many movies have you seen about the Tulsa Massacre? This is the first time I've ever even knew about the Tulsa massacre. I never even knew this was a real thing. So that's a it's a real thing. Um and I'll get your thoughts on that in a bit, but I thought what was most telling is that um I think you're not the only one who found out for the first time that it's a real thing. And just like another character that we'll talk about in a bit, Looking Glass, what do you do when confronted with the actual truth of your belief, you know, of like all the things you base your beliefs on. That's very Lindelof to like, you know, like you have beliefs. Well, I'm about to tell you that your beliefs don't matter. And then tell you that they matter because everyone's beliefs are equally crazy. Yeah. Basically basically get back to like, don't even worry about it. I mean, I sat through a weekend because I only watched the leftovers in a weekend, but I sat through a weekend of watching a guy not be able to die, go to a hotel and then come back and save the day. And it's like, yeah, 
I think I'm going to believe him. So let's talk about it a little bit spoiler free. Uh, spoiler free. Spoiler free. Show's over. You literally just finished it. What do you think of the show? Oh, masterpiece. Masterpiece. <laughs> Absolute masterpiece. Y'all got me so fucked up in this house. I can't believe. I'm so scared that this is just going to be a limited series event that this is it i'm gonna have to i'm never gonna be able to see anything like that like i'm so afraid but i'm also so happy because it's like damn are are we finally getting people that have the balls to tell a story in one season and never touch it again are right. we finally getting this like i, I i'm definitely when we talk about the idea of sequels i'm definitely getting a joker vibe of like things only become a classic when they're left alone long enough for people to just talk about it forever yeah the second people stop talking about it it kind of dies. That's how and then that's, that's how IPs live, and yeah, and then, but it almost never works that way. You should, you know, you leave it as it is, so people can still always be like, "Oh yeah, I love Ghostbusters." Now people can't say that because it's a blanket statement, and then unless you like the last one, you've now, you know, it's it that one to many people has tarnished the reputation of the rest of it. Will Damon Lindelof tarnish the the, the reputation that he's made at least on this show? Um, oh, hell with no. a sequel, we don't know yet. Um, there's, there's been a lot playing around oh, with I, it. I know he didn't tarnish the the name in general at all with this. With this, I guess if it's a one and done season, man, the original Watchmen movie wasn't even critically like loved like that. Yeah, you're right. Like I love the Watchmen. I will always love that movie, but it wasn't really like the Dark Knight status of love. This isn't like the benchmark comic book movie. So this show is really. I feel like anybody that didn't like the Watchmen movie that loved this show should go back and rewatch the Watchmen movie and try and see if if the tones match up if the characters I'm also match very up. curious about those who have no Watchmen background oh, oh were they able to get into this did they feel like have, um, if you, any of you guys uh, well that's you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you have <laughs> no background on the Watchmen but I wonder, like, for those who just wanted to get on the new HBO show and stuff like that. Yeah, I feel... think that's what it is. HBO has enough, like, uh, credibility yeah. for even the, the weirdest of shows to end up finding life. Yeah. Because they, they, they're, they're, they're making now a Golden Compass TV show. Yeah. And I have no knowledge of the Golden Compass, only that I know it's a book and a movie. Yeah. And it even, to me, looks pretty interesting to, like, sit through. I feel like... Um... I feel like maybe a little bit of the apprehension that Lindelof is facing is because like he kind of wanted to do Lost with Abrams and then that got kind of crazy and then he really wanted to do Leftovers but he only like every year it was threatened to be canceled. So I just think he's just like let's just do this. Can we just do this one? You know like everyone's asking for the bigger picture. Maybe he just wants to, you know, enjoy each meal. You know what's uh, funny? I didn't know Leftovers was a book. Yeah, the, the first, first season the first book, season yeah. is an entire actual book and then he you t- reminded me that now makes Damon Lindelof almost a perfect person to do this show because he did his he, research he did no but I'm saying in the leftovers he sequelized a book that ended yeah yeah and, he, well, he did drew get help more ideas writer. yeah but I know he, that. he got to pull more ideas um more of that yarn and, and more of that thread two different kind of shows that leftover season one and season two is but it still remains all around the same yeah, show. He f- kept the feel of what The Leftovers should be in all three seasons. And considering seasons two and three are, d- are departures, no pun intended, from the uh, <laughs> season from season one, um, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's they're different shows. Uh, did you re-familiarize yourself with any of the source material before watching this? I was reading, I think I read the first issue, the just Watchmen? to try. To get back into I, the voice Yeah, because of... it's, it's been a very long time since I read Watchmen. Because when I read Watchmen, I read it only once. Yeah. And it was it was after I saw the movie in theaters where I yeah. fell in love with this movie. I'm like, yo, what is this? I need to know what this is. And then I read Watchmen once. 
and I read it once in like a whole weekend type setting. Like I just kept rereading it, rereading it. I was Rorschach. Yeah. For Halloween that year yeah. because I loved everything about that comic. Uh, and what do you? Yeah, I guess that's another good question. But we probably uh, touched on that a bit in um, our Watchmen coverage. But what do you think of the book? Oh, the book is sad as hell. Yeah. And it, you know what it is? Now that I've read Miracle Man and a little bit more, like I read a little oh, bit of, I read a little bit of Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. So it's like, holy crap. Yeah, Alan he, Moore just doesn't like anybody. He just goes through it. No, he really must be going through it every time. he, And that's like his therapy. Let me just write a book so I don't like kill myself. Um, in 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 respect to the original graphic novel, do you think this is a good sequel? I know people are t- are like dancing around the the term sequel, but as for me, I have lack of a better term. I'm gonna use sequel throughout this. If to, this is uh, a continuation to the '85 novel and not the '09 movie, just straight '85 no- novel, this is a perfect. Uh, this is a perfect sequel. Yeah, per- to me, it's perfect because it has just enough. And you know, now that you mentioned that, that's I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's the other weird thing about this, right? Is that this is a sequel, but it's not a sequel to another show, or a movie and it's not even. a sequel to another movie. It's a sequel to a book, and unless you've read that book, how do you get the sequel? And even if you read the adaptation of the book, it has a completely different ending. Yeah. So again, just very weird. I, I I would love to hear from those who maybe have only seen the movie, never read the book, if they got compelled after a couple of episodes to read the book. I think that um, what he kept uh alive in the book is the is the mystery, but also this lived in world. When you watch the Watchmen film, when you read the Watchmen um book, the world already exists. You just got dropped into it. Yeah. This is also very similar to Leftovers. And obviously, there's probably, um, given the ratings, most of our listeners probably have never seen The Leftovers. Which so when we talk about really, it, really we're going to try to keep it spoiler-filled. Spoiler-free, sorry. Spoiler-free. Um, and so I would say that um, in Leftovers, we get dropped into a town. We see how the police are operating. We see how they're dealing with a local cult. Right, we're trying to figure out how society got here, what event got them there, and how everybody reacted to that event, and how everybody spun out. Um, instead of it being the departure, this big thing that that looms over the leftover show, it's a combination of both the White Knight and um, the 1985 Squid, um, squid yeah. Attack. Those two things, I would say, are the biggest catalysts for the. Well, the White that... Knight that happened before the show's events that we see right. is what kicks off the reason why when we got dropped into this world, cops are already wearing masks. Right. And that uh, their firearms have to be like manually discharged. Like you need an actual reason and stuff. Like, yeah, that, I think that is great with Lindelof's writing that even on a first episode, a pilot episode basis, you're dropped into an already pre-established world. And yeah. you're just and, catching up. Uh, we've talked a bit and maybe even on the cast about this the idea of labored exposition right yeah yeah we've definitely talked um and so you know in you know in respect to that i felt that when you get dropped into a world like this there isn't much of that that's the authenticity of it yeah everyone knows what they know and so there's not really much of go tell my boss steve it's like we both know that's our boss's name, and we both know that he's our boss. Yeah, those so, as you know type. Right, uh, and so the the first episode is intriguing because you you're there's question marks everywhere, and you're not getting everyone answers, is yeah. just doing what they do in this world. Nothing's being explained to us because there's no outside person. 
we Angela becomes the outside person later on when she has to get things explained to her by True, when she has to get things explained to her by Will, uh, by John, by... Um... Oh, yeah, this show does exposition really great because it's exposition for the character and the audience. It's yes. not just exposition for the audience. Right, exactly. I mean, how the first... Not even not the first five minutes. Cause I know the first five minutes was the whole Tol- Tulsa backstory, but like yeah. the first few minutes into the present day Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you're already like you said, we have all these questions. Yeah. Why are these people wearing? Why are the cops wearing masks? Why are the guns being automatically locked? Uh, why are bad guys wearing Rorschach masks? You know, like. Do you like Lindelof as a director? Do you like the way he handles these questions, these mysteries, and stuff like that? Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. I'm a I'm a really big fan of his art. It's like. For for me, he's like a, the TV show Tom King. Okay. It's like whatever whatever shit I've read from Tom King that I fell in love with, it goes double with with See, Lindelof. Right now with Lindelof, to me, he's my TV, and this might even be too much of too much praise. He's my TV Chris Nolan right now. You know he does do um, shit like that though. And so like, I I did not watch Lost. I've still never seen Lost. Really, it's actually a really good show. I would have to go into it knowing how monstrous of an ending came to be because of how bad people felt being strung along as long as they were. See, and the so, is, is th- th- right. Lost, for its first four seasons, is TV at its absolute best. You love Lindelof and The Leftovers, you will love the first four seasons of Lost. Then the writer's strike hits I'm from like 2006 everyone, goes, or everyone has like purgatory dreams and stuff like yep. that yeah and then for a good like two seasons it's literally scab writers writing in episodes that make no sense so it's like two seasons of filler come on now yeah damn that's painful but it's not just lost it was yeah, every the office. show yep all of it um heroes had the worst season it ever because of the writer strike because yeah. of the writer strike which was sucked because season one was right before the writer strike so season oh, one comes that... it's killer then season two is trash because, and they, not only do they not have writers, they don't have like money. <laughs> so they had to like shoot half of, half of the season in feudal Japan with no explanation of what's going on. But this is not the Heroes podcast. Um, I like Lindelof. What I like about him the most is that you he'll give you 10 questions at the end of an episode. When you got to the next episode, he'll answer eight and then give you another 10. And where's my other two? Right. And so you always are in uh, in depth when it comes to answers. But it's not like he doesn't give them to you. Like after the first couple of episodes, you figure out who Will is. You figure out who, um, you know, who Angela is, what happened on the white night, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, but we didn't see Looking Glass for five episodes. Oh, yeah. We don't even know what, that his fate was undetermined from episode four to episode nine. But that's mostly because of the fact that the episodes in between, episode six... Is all in Angela's head. Episode, and she's in the precinct, yeah. yeah. Episode 7 is basically her bedridden. And then episode 8 is... Um, uh, all happen- Episode Manhattan. 8 and 9 all happen in roughly a 24-hour period. Yeah. And so um, we decided this week to go in that linear level of timeline. So we're going to check all that out in a bit. But let's see. Did you read the Pedipedia? PTpedia, the ones you sent yeah. to the group chat a yeah. while ago. I read some of it. Okay, so I went through recently now that the show's finished. There's a lot of interesting stuff in there. You have um, uh, Angela's husband's, um, not autopsy, but I guess medical state report or whatever. Oh, because of the whole because of the accident. Thing. Yeah, that that's in there. Um, uh, Captain Metropolis as well, leaving all his stuff to Hooded Justice, is in there. Um, and the firing 
of one Petey is the last memo in Petypedia. And supposedly... And, and this I, was Petey, the kid that was following around? Yes. Yeah, what happened to him? So he was writing... He is like the Rorschach journal of it all. Like he's... As every episode aired on HBO, the website, there's this thing called Petypedia where he, there would be like two or three memos around, around general things in the episode. So like it would highlight the White Knight or it would highlight how Dopa got... Uh, founded or it would highlight um you know the robert redford thing or there's a there's a spec there's a there's a blueprint of the excalibur um (laughs) item (laughs) that was shown in this so it's just there's um testimony when they arrested Lori uh before she joined the fbi and how they got basically got her into the fbi um, so there's a bunch of stuff like that. Like, just little, like, Easter egg stuff. Like, little really... Yeah, see, that's the one thing I kind of would have wanted, that if we were going to get, like, some sort of continuation sequel, I would want to know the fate of Dryberg, Junipiski, and uh, right, right. all of them. But that's the whole point, I guess, right? Because really, it, I guess Dryberg, if if the show is to be believed, he He's probably, in jail. He is in jail? Yes, he he's was, in jail. And he gave... They, they seized his technology? I believe so, yeah. Damn, that sucks. He's in jail because um, him and Lori... Went to stop uh, the the Oklahoma City bomber, Timothy McVeigh, uh, and they did. They successfully stopped him. They were both arrested. She went to jail. He she did. He went to jail. She did a plea bargain to work for the FBI to stop vigilantes, and thus Agent Lori Blake. And this man is still in jail. And he's still in jail. The thing that was, sucks. the thing was, had um, Lori been able to successfully. Find the killer for Judd Crawford. Supposedly, Joe Keene Jr. was going to pardon Night Owl. That's why she goes. When they talk in the hotel, that's what he tells her. I might even be able to find a pardon for your little friend. Yes, okay. I remember the uh, conversation now. And so, yeah, that that's how... You wrote oh, me into this. <laughs> that's how they go. Got four years in jail. He did- well, not 34. He got locked up in 1990. When did when did that Oklahoma City bombing happen? Like nineteen ninety eight, yeah, or something like that. Ninety six, um, yeah. Oh, uh, nineteen ninety five, nineteen ninety five. So he's been in jail for fourteen years. No, more than that. Twenty five years. years. Yeah, yeah. About twenty five years. Yeah, it is a long time. That's still a long time. That is a long poor ass bastard. Time. And I'm just looking at the Patrick Wilson interpretation that I got from the movie. I'm like, I can't imagine that. Daniel oh, Dryberg yeah, yeah, yeah. in jail. Um, oh, so let me before we get into our full spoiler filled talk. Um, oh, this is but this is spoiler filled right now. So yeah, I guess we're spoiling. in spoiler territory. Ladies and gentlemen, we're in spoiler territory. Sorry, guys, we forgot. To there were some warning. spoilers around. The, there were some spoilers on the way. But uh, if you don't want to have any major plot point revealed for you for HBO's Watchmen, you can leave now, and I won't feel bad about it. Just come back. Make sure you come back. Once Definitely you've, please come back. When you've uh, digested it, so you can join in on the fun of the conversation. But um, Spoiler time? Spoiler time before... Yo, got, hold on. Before, <laughs> before I, we I get there. Run. Running for the finish line. Um, the last entry in the Pedipedia is the fire... It's a memo, a memorandum, um, I guess given to everyone in the FBI, by the head of the FBI, firing Agent Petey and getting rid of him, and also clearing clearing out his locker, um, 
and uh, cleaning out his locker and his computer. Supposedly, he just had like behavior unbecoming of a whatever the hell, an agent. And so um, they're like, yeah, we cleaned out his entire thing, a bunch of comics, a bunch of old files and stuff. And for some weird reason, a whole gallon of canola oil. I don't even want to. I don't even. I don't even. So people are trying to put two and two together, (laughs) and they are uh, posturing that Petey might be the one and only Lube Man. Lube Man. Lube Man. And plus, he's kind of sort of obsessed with masks anyway. And he's pretty lanky, so. And he's pretty lanky, and he was kind of like following Angela in that moment. So it's like maybe she was just like you know looking over her shoulder or whatever. But yeah, Lube Man. Lube man. Canola oil. Of all oils. Of all all oils. All right. Man, we got a black Dr. Manhattan. Life is great. Two black. Maybe two black Dr. Manhattans. Maybe. A a female Dr. Manhattan that's black. Man, Lindelof is just trying to, like, take away half his fan base. Like, yo, you guys don't need to be here. It's hilarious. Um, But this is a very racially charged show. Completely, Um, yeah. As someone who identifies as white... (laughs) <laughs> or is wrongfully identified as white I'm sometimes. definitely wrongfully identified as white. Um, What did you feel attacked at any point in this? I, I have to ask as somebody on I mean, the other side of the spectrum. Uh, it, do, when you watch this stuff, does it feel like someone's waving a finger at you? No. Or does it feel mostly like they're waving a finger at people behind you? I've The latter. It's okay. definitely when I'm watch. I was watching this show, getting ready for the racially charged stuff. I'm like, all right, we're about to get a whole season of white men is bad. White man is bad, and it's like, well, that wasn't truly the point. Yeah, it it was more towards the the atrocities that were hit towards women, children, and men of color more as what the white men did. Yes, yeah. the the background noise is white men did do. The a pot, the Cyclops yeah. brain controlling shit. White white people destroyed Black Wall Street. Yeah, but it's not like they're not overtly saying all white people are bad. All white people are bad. Right. But it was funny in that second to last episode where the Senator Keene said, "You don't know how hard it is to be a white man in America right now." And <laughs> yes. I just wanted to say, yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, a little bit. I mean, not not those like um. We don't have the we have privilege. White white skinned people have privilege. That's just the way of the world. You have yeah. white skin, you're gonna have that privilege. It sucks, it's disgusting, but that's just the way of the world. But I didn't feel like my white privilege was being someone was shaking a finger in my face. Yeah. Like, I was like, like bad I, man, you're I, a bad man. I would wonder, you know, if it was literally a, a show about any race, if you know, if that takes people out of the enjoyment of the actual thing. Because Watchmen got nicknamed Wokeman, they try to review bomb it. Uh, when it when it initially came out, and uh, didn't work. Uh, it's one of HBO's highest rated series you know of all what time. The problem is, it it, it uh, it's, <laughs> there's a lot. Racist of, is exhausting. Yes, racism is, is exhausting. Ex- it is. Man, racism is exhausting. Like, it is. How because you... it goes from the most microaggressions to the biggest overt acts, and so it's like. Yeah, people take things differently and take things at different levels of intensity. I mean, how many people truly who, that are listening to this that are of white or whiter skin than most of uh, our black community? If you are a white-skinned person, did you know anything about the Tulsa Black Wall Street firebombings in 1921? Did you know anything about it? No, because I didn't know anything about it. So don't <laughs> tell me that know. Watchmen is woke in a negative way because they're giving us American American as a matter of fact that only happened eighty years ago. Yeah, as a matter of fact, now that you say that, um, 
it would li- it would be woke in the literalist sense of the word. This like, is a you were asleep watchman, to yeah. the ideas that you were asleep to the atrocities that this country has committed. Now we're going to wake you up so that you can see. That's the whole term where that term comes from is the idea that you were well, they asleep. They also try and do it, and where, now you are awake. I guess it's the to, white fan base that say yeah. that use the word woke on things as a way of oh, it's not starring a straight white man. It's right. woke. Yeah. Yeah, it's woke book. It's yeah. it's woke Marvel, woke DC because yeah. a straight white man isn't in the lead. Okay, and it is, and it is. yeah, it's just there's other bigger fights to have. There are there are you know raging lunatics on both sides who are doing things to the extreme on both sides. Um, and, but I do think for the most part, both the the worst parts of both sides are fabricated or or very um, specific. You know what I'm saying? Like. You can't blanket an entire race, I don't think. Me, no. personally. Uh, you won't get very far. Uh, you, we, there's too much of everyone here. We, we all have to kind of get along. I mean, the show even went out of its way to show that... All right, there was now... There was, what, the cavalry would be the only... And the cyclops yeah. would be the only racist, racially charged groups of that show. Other than that, every white person you saw in that show was pretty much... You know, I wouldn't want to use the word progressive, but more is not a racist well, asshole. Well, the thing is, who is there that's not... I mean, you're looking glass. Red Scare. Red Scare. Who's kind of like a half character, right? Like, he's not... Petey, we don't really I, know what's going like, on. You know what I'm saying? Like, there isn't a lot of... There isn't a lot of regular white men. White yeah. men. But, but that was also a directive from Damon Lindelof because there was very little women or people of color in the original Watchmen story. Of course. the whole The whole team was white except for one blue guy. And the whole team was male except for Laurie. So expected. So now in this instance, Lady True, Angela Abar, um, you know, you got situations like that, and then Cal, you know, introduces a black. No, if you have good actors and actresses that can follow, that can like carry these lines of dialogue, then it shouldn't matter if they're a guy, if they're a straight guy, a straight white guy. Regina King is one of the greatest actresses of our generation. Yeah, and she carried this show on her back that poor girl has to be taking percocet right now and she wasn't she, she wasn't she wasn't um shoehorned in like a like an angry black exactly woman just... and it, she was very po- she was a very good positive role model for little black girls that want to like see a superhero to look up to look up to she definitely had her levels of regression but we see where that comes from oh that was another thing that i i guess i didn't write down but then another one of these themes is um this theory or they've been theorizing that this thing exists called um generational trauma that you can feel the trauma of a a past generation right and you don't know why it's there you don't know why the triggers are there you don't know why yeah like ptsd it's just inherited ptsd that's right and so supposedly this was documented first um as uh, the children of those kept in concentration camps in the holocaust they needed severe i've heard of that uh, they've needed severe therapy and stuff like that. They were really going through it, but they had never themselves experienced it. Um, and so it's weird because that's one of the main crux in the racism argument today is like, why are you going so hard on something that never even happened to you? Because it happened to my but, people. But if yeah. it is something that's able to be passed down, um, then we would be having traces of this of this trauma across America, which would then be easy to spark a a flame, right? If you have bits of gasoline everywhere, um, then all you need is an inciting incident to cause a fire. True. The problem is that, all right, 
there's a lot of I, I don't want to throw the word racist out there like if it's just you know hot potato racist race but there are a lot of people that are ignorant to the fact that just because slavery or even Jim Crow laws happened to people that are not alive anymore to feel it doesn't mean that there aren't still these like handicaps that are going on in the people of color community yeah like you know it's well that's the thing it's it's the whole seeing is believing argument right if I've never seen it. How could it exist? If I've lived in this town and I know everybody in this town, everybody's good and we're all friends and do we have a black family here and everybody's good, how can the world be racist if my town isn't? That's a whole echo. That's an echo chamber Yeah, it's like, well, step out a little bit. Step out and just see. Just see if everywhere is the same as where you're at. And if it is, then the world's a better place. But odds are it's not going to be. Not every place is going to treat people of different races or sexual orientations or religions a different literally this country was founded of us running away from england <laughs> we were running uh, away from persecution yes, like to, from persecution and so now you'll hear like oh we don't got room we ain't got any room or space for these refugees and it's like well well like I don't, think, I, don't sure? think that, I don't think the native americans had room for refugees but we kind of sort of you know made our homes um but Let's start on this on this road, this linear road uh, through the mythos of both the Watchmen and uh, the Watchmen on HBO and the Watchmen series. The Watchmen series stuff will be very, very lightly touched on. But as I t- come up with big events, we'll sit and we'll marinate on it. So this, the history of this show starts all the way back in 1891, where Obi Williams is born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Obi Obi Williams is the uh, father of Will Reeves. In 1917, Obi Williams reads a German propaganda flyer while serving in the U.S. Army. That was that black guy that the flyers came down. It was yeah. all one. Wow. And those were also true. Yeah. During I, World we, War we One. About that, that, that crazy, right? True. That during World War One, the the Germans were trying to convince uh, American soldiers that like, oh, America doesn't even care about you. Like, what are you what are you talking it's about? Like, you're gonna come over here fighting a white man's war, go back, and you're still a black man over there. Why yeah. don't you come fight for us? And that's a bold stuff to say to try to turn a you know a populace against one another. But it's a populace that's split on their own for no reason, really. Other than, well, that is your skin color is not the same as my skin color. That, that's so crazy because Hitler was was ostracizing people that didn't have blonde hair and blue eyes. So it's like, what are we doing? Exactly. This world is crazy. There is no perfect. But um, in 1921, director Oscar, I can't say that name. Basically, the movie Trust in the Law premieres with Bass Reeves. Uh, that's the movie that we saw um, Young Will Reeve watching. But in June 1st of 1921, June Abar and Will Williams, later Will Reeves, are smuggled out of Tulsa during the Tulsa Massacre. Crazy opener to this show. Um, like you said again, it opened up a lot of people's eyes um, to some of the stuff that's gone on in, in this country. I fought for this country so I think I can say both the good and the bad that comes with it of course. I, one of my favorite heroes is also Captain America who embodies that you can have pride in this country and what it can be but also see this country for what it is and, and its shortcomings and, and, real, and in realizing that you can then improve safety this is fear one yes. of the best lines ever written because he can sit sit there and say like I get what you think this looks like but in reality, and to the rest of the world, this is what this it is will authoritarian. Be. This is crazy. Um, so yes, let's talk about Will Reeves being smuggled out of Tulsa. You know why I want to talk about that? Because a lot of people are making a lot of comparisons to Superman. <laughs> so you have 
this young child in this advanced civilization. Basically, yeah. Being destroyed and being sent, hope, hoping that he... And the last two things he sees is his parents send him off in a little pod. Hoping that he's alright. Hoping that, that he's going to land and he's going to be able to live a happy, successful life because of the chance that they gave him. Um, not to mention that uh, we see that in 1938, um, Will Reeves graduates from the NYPD. 1938 is also the same year Action Comics number one hit newsstands. Wow. <laughs> the same year Superhero, Superman hit newsstands. Um, I say all that to say, I wonder if this story is also trying to, um, you know, make us question in our mind, what if ba- um, what if one of the first superheroes we ever had was black? How would that change the entire narrative of, of what we think? White men you will know, still try and steal it. Um, and we saw what happened with this, where the... Identity of Hood of Justice isn't known, and Will Reeves goes to great lengths to paint white, seemingly the pigmentation of white skin on his face, uh, so that he can be mistaken as a white man if they just saw his eyes. Um, and that's so he can blend in. That's so that people won't question him and or won't question his authority. It was a really sad, sad scene though, too, with his wife like painting his the the makeup on his face, like you know. If you're gonna, if, if uh, I think the, the line was like, uh, they need to know that you're one of them. Yeah. If you're gonna like be one of them or whatever, it's like, yo, that's so sad that he had to paint his face to be a white man just so he could be considered a hero. Because a black man in a hood is definitely not a hero, even though we all know what white men in hoods are. Oh, and also in 1936, uh, John Osterman and his father Hans flee Heidelberg for England, where they briefly stay in a manner whose owners are providing refugees a place to stay before traveling to the United States. And that's when John sees the two people of the manor having sex. And um, they're like, oh, no, this is beautiful. This is life. You should make life one day. Uh, so he gets that idea all the way in 1936. In fall of 1938, Will Reeve arrests a businessman named Fred T. for firebombing a Jewish deli. Remember how nonchalant that was? Yo, he that was non. He just like walked up and was all like, uh, "Boom!" And then they were like, "He's like, hey!" He's like, "So, like, what are you doing, officer?" Yeah, Yeah, I did not just Molotov cocktail this delicatessen. (laughs) What are you gonna do? He's like, "I I heard the owners were Jewish. Might have a rat problem or an electrical problem." Yo, what is going on? He he does arrest them, but later on, he goes back to the station and asks the desk sergeant if Fred got let go, and the desk sergeant tells Will to just let it be, warning him that if he doesn't, that they'll kill him if he doesn't drop it. And so you see Will on his way home, and three officers pull up um, in a police car and um, offer him to get a ride home or let's just go out for a beer. And um, when Will refuses, they drive off. And in one of the most chilling scenes that of was, the show, yeah. and like in general, and I'm pretty sure it happened in real life, you notice that as they drag, they're driving off, they're dragging two black bodies. I thought it was three. From the, two on the side and one in the middle. Two bodies. It was three, two bo- it was three cops in it the car. It was three cops. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that shit was so so inhuman, so inhuman, so cold, so callous. See, that's my so... question: was was that a real memory? Like those three, those two bodies that were yes, that yes. were being dragged, yes. they were really being dragged. Yes. Like that wasn't 100%. just like two memories being nope. put together. That was one hundred percent. Yeah, three cops dragging two black yes. bodies. And then remember, he tries to walk away, and then they corner him in the alley. Yeah, well, because they did, they did like a U-turn and cut down that alleyway. Yeah, so the officers drive back, cutting Will off as he walks through an alley. They beat him up. Uh, the officers drag Will to a tree and string him up. Um, that was harrowing because you're getting all that from Will's perspective. And it's what's also sad is that 
it's true. Somebody in the 30s and 40s really did die that way. Some black yeah, man yeah, wanted yes. to become a cop. He rubbed too many feathers, and he ended up being hung from a tree by his white coworkers. That yeah. like, that could that really would happen. Or he whistled at a white woman, or he got accused of stealing something from somewhere. Uh, oh it, it, it was all real quick. Like you can't be blind to the fact that these atrocities really did happen <laughs> to like, real people. You that's can't. why people. That's why people get so upset because it's like. How can you like you celebrate Superman because your vast history and remembering that he was existed that long, or we talk about the Titanic or D Day, but literal things that happen in our backyard to our fellow man that don't even get never, on the news, yeah, are never are not acknowledged. Um, so, so I like woke men. Woke. I watch <laughs> I watch woke men all woke day. Men. Um, later the oh, so they strung him up. They cut him down at the last moment and tell him to keep his black nose out of white folk business or the next time they won't cut him down. Once they leave, Will looks at the hood they put over his head before they strung him up. He walks home, the noose still around his neck, and where and hears a woman scream. Tearing eye holes out of the hood, Will puts it on and attacks the men attacking the woman and her husband. One of the greatest fucking origins like I have shots, ever. All that kind of stuff. Oh my god. And you know what it is? Is I, we don't even, as comic book lovers, we don't even have enough information on Hooded Justice to even have our own backstory of him. These these Minutemen never got these, like, one-off, single-issue Yeah, the only thing comics. is um, Mason, Mason. Hollis Mason, the first Night Owl, had had said, or from his account, that it, he was a German strongman. Obviously, he wasn't, but that's all anyone knew about the guy was that so if he was how anything, tall is real re- but he was wearing platforms right when they I were, would be I wouldn't be surprised because in in the in the Watchmen movie that hooded justice actor was like towering over Manhattan oh yeah like he was tall. he was a big dude I may I may be thinking too deeply into this but I mean come on it's Damon Lindelof right like all of this stuff is super deep yeah you have to think deep with Lindelof but the idea that Will had just come from like one of the most horrific events of his entire life and, and he, he still, still saved two white still people still went out of his way to save wearing the symbols of the oppression on him shows I think a level of strength in the African American community as a whole Yes. Who yes. might still be wearing, quote unquote, the you know, the the garb or the thing of the oppressed, but still trying to move forward in 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 realizing that they still have to live a life and they, that they, good and bad are still things that it's not about getting fair. It's not about it's being fair. Poetic as it's, fuck. Yeah. Like like whatever racism happened to this, you know, very beautiful community, they still still manage to just turn the other cheek. Yeah. You got guys that, that were like Martin Luther King that was like, you know, we are the better men because we're doing better things. Then you got Malcolm X saying, you are all fools. If you keep giving them that other cheek, they're going to keep slapping it. That's all you're doing. It's giving them more time and wasting more energy so they can keep telling and you what they, feel, moment, what they feel. Will decided to turn the other cheek and be a good person. And say that these people are not those people. Yes, yes, which yes. Is, which, is, which is big. That's what we have to do as people. We have to realize that Guy A is not Guy B, and Guy B is not Girl C, and Girl C is not them B. Like you know, I think what ends up happening is people get upset because it seems as if, while Guy A is not Guy B, Guy A knew Guy B did what he did and didn't say anything about it, and so is silence being complicit? Is 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 a world that is willing to take the Tulsa massacre out of history books a world of trust? Yeah, that's not you understand, and and that's what I'm saying. It may not be everybody, 
But it's a lot of people if, if no we're power. all going to agree that this is not going that this we're not going to talk about this. Like and that's what starts to un- unravel things. There's no power in willful ignorance. No. No power in willful ignorance. No. Um so uh he viciously beats the robbers unconscious mostly because he was upset about what happened earlier on that day. Um and the couple thanks him before running off and Will Reeves officially becomes hooded justice. Um do you let's talk a little bit about his wife who was also the woman that was saved from Oh sorry, his wife was also saved from the Tulsa massacre and she was a child that he held when he yeah, got because out. his parents knew these other two parents that were waiting so they can send both their kids out. Yes. So, yeah. That they become a couple, which is kind of weird. I was like, I thought y'all yeah, would totally become like Yeah, that whole brother and that sister. whole like conversation that they were like she's like, "Can you tell me about the day we met?" and it's like, "Yo, wait, what?" Well, there was a bunch of white folks <laughs> trying to kill us all, and we kind of got Adam and Eve into the situation, and now I guess we this was going to be. Yeah, it's like I woke up in a field and there you were, a baby, crying. I'm like, yo, wait, that's the little girl that you saved. What is going on with this show? See, you can't say I woke up because the first thing I thought was I woke up, I saw her, that's all I know. I woke up, <laughs> I, I saw, saw her, her that's, that's all, all I know. know. Um, so, <laughs> I'm not even going to give that one to y'all. I'm not even going to give that one to y'all. Y'all going to have to figure out what yeah. that one is. So, so um, <laughs> how, do, how do you feel about the wife um, getting into it as much as she did? You know, she helped him. Uh, cultivate this character of hooded justice with the white paint on the eyes. Um, you Only gave him advice back on him eventually, that's... but he was also getting kind of. He was stepping out on her. That was the thing. Well, not only that, he couldn't. It seemed like he couldn't square what he was doing versus what he wanted his son to do. Because he was fine doing what he was doing, and then when the minute his son acted as if he was another mass vigilante, he was like, "Oh no, we don't do that." Masks. What is it? Masks. Uh... Aren't allowed. Bad people wear masks. Well, even as know. an old man, he was still telling Angela, he's like, you know, masks, you're not, you, you can't wear them. You shouldn't be wearing masks. You know, wounds need air to, to breathe and shit. That's a good line. Yeah, that's a good line. Um, Yeah, let's talk about, I think I'm missing it here. But we obviously get the Minutemen. The Minutemen are, uh, they get. Yeah, they were established before Hooded Justice, right? Yes. Or not, not too short before, because oh, no, yeah, um, weren't there like different vigilantes that were just doing their own thing and they needed, like, a leader or whatever? Like, yeah, because a week after he becomes Hooded Justice, he finds the first clues to the Cyclops' plan when he goes into that market that scene that got rechanged into the movie. Yeah. Um, and so in 1939, Captain Metropolis meets Will Reeves and convinces him to join the Minutemen. And I like how he goes and he sits down. He's like, we're here to talk business. And the wife's like, oh, business? And sits down like, yeah, we all talk business in this house. You know what I'm saying? Because like, I'm pretty sure at that time, besides her being black, her being a woman, like, what are you? we're talking business. Like, what are you doing here? Are you bringing cookies or something? But she was very much like, nah, what are we, we going to talk about? No, I did like the fact that she was, like, running the show. Like, she's like the Alfred, in yes. a sense. Um, in 1947... The Cyclops tests a curious new film projector at the screening of The Secret Life of Walter Mitty in Harlem. Will Reeves investigates. I'm pro- sorry. I'm sorry. The Secret Life of Walter Mitty was being shown in Harlem. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't That's know a that. Disney movie. It's a Disney remake, right? Yeah, with uh, Ben Stiller. Oh, the new one. Yeah, but this was 1947, so I guess so this, this is the, the original Disney movie, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Yeah. Um, 
So he sees a truck labeled FT and Sons, uh, follows the truck, and finds that they have like this secret projector technology that can can mind control you. Yeah, and it was just that one white guy with that. Yo, his voice was creepy when he was reading those insults. Yeah. Do not harm any white men, women, or children. I think he said, like, keep hitting until you see blood or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but the what, he was just so monotone about it. Like, he was just speaking very country and monotone, reading it. Matter, very matter of fact. Huh? Very matter of fact. Um, uh, bananas. So... Yeah, he goes in, kills everybody in the warehouse, steals their technology, and burns it to the ground. And they burnt Utica to the ground. And eight years later, he disappears forever. 1955, Hooded Justice disappears. In also in 1955, uh, Judge Judd Crawford's grandfather is given a leadership position in Cyclops. And John David Keene, who will later later become Senator Keene, gives uh. Dale Dixon Crawford, Judd Crawford's grandfather, the painting that we see with the horses and the and the so we know that Senator Keene is pretty damn racist, and Judd Crawford's father, grandfather is pretty damn racist. I At this point, nineteen fifty five, though, <laughs> but, I do like. But that I painting. think uh, there's a letter in Pedipedia, the letter that was given with the painting. He's like, "Let this be a reminder of the savageness of our enemies." In yeah, because they were the hiding native, on the side of the horseback. In the references, back. in the references to the Native Americans, yeah, um, which yeah, uh, yeah, yeah let's not let's not tow those waters. There's a lot there. There's a lot. There. That's a big package to open. All right, um, but let's get a little forward. Now we're moving forward. I think you can start recognizing some some of this stuff, some of these events. You ready? Yep. Let's do this. Uh, 1971. Oh, you have the events of the 85 novel well, and it's the all show gonna, all t- yeah, in, yeah. in one big timeline. 1971, Edward Blake, a.k.a. the comedian, burns down B- Beyond's village in Vietnam. Wow. Yep. Uh, May, 19, May 31st, 1971, same year as the burning down of the village, Nelson Gardner changes his name. Uh, oh, sorry. Nelson Gardner changes his will. Naming Will Reeves as his sole beneficiary, and we see Will in the mansion um, when Manhattan visits. Yes, one hundred percent. Speaking of which, June of that same year, June nineteen seventy one, is VVN Day. The United States wins the Vietnam War mostly because of Doctor Manhattan. Um, the implications are bananas. You know, Vietnam becomes a state, and we saw a pretty graphic depiction of what he was doing. He was kind of just walking over around the country, blowing people up, exploding people. Well, that was one of the funniest scenes of the from the movie where you just see like an 80-foot Dr. Manhattan with the Flight of the Valkyrie song playing. Bah, 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 and eventually bah, they bah. bow to him. He is a god to them, you know. Uh, one definitely of reckoning, right? He just showed up and freaking killed a bunch of people. With his uh, hand, just, just the, waves the hand. And that's it. Um, in August of 1974, Captain Metropolis... Dies in a traffic accident. He's decapitated after flying through the windshield, but his head is never found. Yeah, that's 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 suspect. <laughs> uh, 1975, Angela Abar is born in Saigon. Judd Crawford marries uh, his wife, Jane. And Will Reeves buys the movie theater where he used to work. In 1977, the Keen Act makes mass vigilantism illegal, as we know. In June of 1977. Yeah, but wasn't mass vigilantism illegal already in the Watchmen movie? Yeah, that's in 85. Um, so, 77 is also the same year that Sister Night, the movie, is released in Vietnam. 
In 1979, Agent Vite builds the tachyon memory erasing device that he goes that he wants to put into Doctor Manhattan's head. In 1979, six years before the events of the Squid, I, I think that's and important. He did, he did build that, and he the, tells yeah. him, he told him as in the series that that was Plan A to erase to, your memory. Yes, Plan B was to separate him, which he does in the comic book and the movie, and then he comes back. Who do you think you are? Oh, yeah, like bio-transforming <laughs> thing was like the first thing I learned. Yo, yeah, that was yeah. a great He was like, that was, that was line B. Oh, yeah, well, he said, yeah, putting myself together was one of the first things I ever learned how to do. Um, but, yeah, he built this thing that he ends up giving to Cal or whatever in 1979. Now, let's get to the 80s. Judd Crawford joins the Oklahoma County Sheriff's Department in 1980. He officially meets Senator Keene Sr. And, uh, you know, they... I, they they cyclops each other, yeah. <laughs> Don't do the okay symbol around here, Dan. You're getting out of control. <laughs> anyway, 18, 1985, October to November, the main event of the Watchmen comic book. October Squid uh, Day. Yes, but well, for that year, that whole fall, October to November is comedian dies. Uh, Doctor Manhattan gets the cured of cancer. The movie. Yes. November 1st of that year, though, Adrian Veidt records his video message for President Robert Redford. And, beyond, steals semen sample 2346 and uses it to conceive Lady True. At 11.59 p.m. Eastern, November 2nd, 1985, a.k.a. 11.2, we get the dimensional incursion. Oh, 11, that was November 2nd was when that squid dropped? Yes. We get the dimensional incursion event in which uh, Adrian Veidt uh, creates this elaborate hoax in, in which he pretends that an extra-dimensional squid with psychic powers has come to New York killing millions, but he did it all so that everyone could focus on that threat as opposed to focusing on the politics that were getting us closer and closer to nuclear war. In the comics, it's a lot, it's a lot bigger of a deal, the nuclear war thing. I think that's the biggest thing that's missing from the movies. In the comics... They're like, oh, well, it is, it is what it is. If they come closer, we're just gonna have to bomb them. It is what it like. It's very matter of fact. It was the a Cuban Missile end. Crisis, basically. It, yeah, but it, they seem very matter of fact with the idea like this will kill us like, all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it is what it is. Well, so that's what I liked about the movie is that they turned they turned it into just Manhattan's radiation just poisons people and gives the people closest to him cancer and all that. I kind of liked that plan to make. To, that Vite made Manhattan think anybody that stands too close near him is being poisoned, so that's how he separates himself from humanity. It's, I felt like that plan was like a lot more like complex, but not as complex where you can't follow it. Um, th- and also one, we get one other perspective. We've never been giving almost any perspectives besides the people in the Watchmen as to what happens on Eleven Two, but we get one more perspective. My favorite character of, the sh- of that of this Looking show. Glass Way Tillman. My man. Uh, we find out that he was basically a Jehovah's Witness, trying to go out and give out pamphlets in Coney Island. Was it? No, or they were in Atlantic Jersey City. City. Yeah. Atlantic City. Yeah. Yes, because they were all sinners. So he's going out to give out these pamphlets with his other Jehovah's Witnesses. And weren't they talking about the squid? Wasn't that that whole thing? Like some some alien was coming, or some there was some kind of beast. No, they or... were saying like basically if the reckoning. Oh, they were just talking happen, about the ending of the world. Yeah. It would happen in Atlantic City, which I mean, if you've been to Jersey, you probably feel the same yeah, way. Yeah, I feel the same um, way. But. Yeah, um, Wade Tillman, aka Looking Glass, uh, on this day, on this night, goes to um, a 
you know, goes on the boardwalk, basically, of Atlantic City. And is tricked into going to a fun house with an attractive young woman who that seems to be interested fun. in him. But it turns out she just wanted to steal his clothes and embarrass him for being a Bible boy. And he looks at himself and braids himself in the mirror before the squid attack uh, shatters the mirrors all around him. And him believing that that material uh, or the reflective nature of mirrors is what kept him safe uh, now wears a reflectatine mask. You can say that it that he's parent that all of his paranoia comes from the squid. But I, I want to say that his paranoia also comes from being left in a funhouse room naked. Because there was even a line from his ex-wife that she's like, I tried convincing you for seven years that I wasn't going to take all your stuff and, and run away in the middle of the off, night. Yeah, yeah like, that, that really messed him up badly. That's so sad. Um, yeah, it sucks. Another thing is, you know, he obviously had very, very strong religious leanings. So I think it's the combination of all three. It's the combination of being embarrassed. It's the combination of being on the squid attack. And it's the combination of everything he knew up until that point being, uh, you know. Yeah, because you could use causality as in as is, he's the reason why all of this happened. Like if he would have just not went into that funhouse mirror and took all of his clothes off with that girl. If he would have just continued handing out pamphlets, he probably would have been okay. And when he decided to stray away from his religious beliefs, bam, catastrophe happens. Or you could be a person like me that says, you going away from your religious beliefs is what saved your ass from getting killed. Right. But as we know, people handle traumatic events differently and they all need answers. You need an answer to the question. You need an answer for all your questions. And so Tillman blames it on what the world was told happened which means which was that a squid a creature came from another dimension and so he becomes very hard you know steadfast in that belief that that's exactly what's happening that's what happened that night and we'll move forward with him in a bit and the realism of it too like they are really you know people that are like this nuclear warheads that have like their own bunkers that do safety precautions every day just in case that it's going to happen again there's real people that are like that so this show really does a really Good job with the realism of actual people. Yep. Um, now, do you remember... Uh, well, you should remember that shortly after this incursion event, and I think almost even during it, Manhattan just leaves. Like, it happens. Remember, I already did it, what, 30 minutes ago. And then he's like, you know, I think I'll just go see if I can create life. Remember? Yeah, he's like, I'm tired of life here. I'm going to go create it somewhere Uh, else. Ah, see, yeah. Yeah, I keep doing this weird earth human thing that where y'all kill each other and everything's kind of cool because y'all don't want to kill more of each other. I mean, his I think it was his first line officially in the comic book was a dead body and a living body have the oh, same amount of, of particles. So what sh- what should I care? Because that's when um yeah. Rorschach goes to tell him that he's like, oh, Rorschach's here to tell us somebody's that the comedian killing, died. Yeah, somebody's yeah. killing masks. It's like, you don't care? A dead body and a living body have the same number of particles, so... It's like, yo, what? So, in that same month, probably the next day, Dr. Manhattan fulfills his promise to that British couple that we were talking about from the manor and makes his own version of Adam and Eve in the couple's image after leaving Earth and its inhabitants behind. He knits their bodies from the microbes in the water and the two infants, by virtue of accelerated bio- biomechanical maturation, eventually become a man and woman. He gives them higher brain function, instantaneous speech, and self-awareness. And then he brought them to a place in which they could live. Um, but this all takes place on Europa. Um, when, Angela, when Angela asked John if the whole process took seven days, John said that the entire top process took him approximately 
90 seconds. <laughs> 90 seconds. That, uh, just, that just kills all of my religious beliefs. So you're telling me God created the world in 90 seconds? The next – so um, what's cool is that it took – it takes about a year. Ah, they give you six months. How many times between November and March? About six months, right? Yeah. Three, five, six, five, eh, six months. Let's go six months. About six months after this is when all of it starts to fall apart, right? Because fine, eighty-five, Vice Plan is done. You know, Rorschach's dead. He done stop nuclear war. Rorschach's dead. It is what it is. But in nineteen eighty-six, the New Frontiersman, a very right-wing newspaper outlet, begins to publish excerpts from Rorschach's journal. Like literally a page, every, yeah. a new page every day. But That's... this is basically the Watchmen's version of Breitbart. Wow. And so, but this existed way before Breitbart. Um, the reason why I say that is because even if it's the truth, no one's gonna believe it. No one's believing racist. it because it's written, it's written, it's written almost by racists, you know. And so that's where the Seventh Calvary comes so strong in their beliefs because their beliefs are true, but they're said by the wrong side. Or, which is a crazy, you know, it's a crazy so can thing. you believe the truth when it's coming from a bigot? Like, right, or from the side that you just don't, you don't, uh... Associate with at all? It's sympathize like, with. It's like, oh, these guys and their kooky conspiracies. Like, would a Republican believe a Democrat if they told one truth in a midst of lies and vice versa? What truth is that important in, in, with everything else that's been said? And so that's where you get a lot of this conspiracy theory stuff that you were talking about before, and people really trying to find out the answers because they're like, "Yeah, you're not, you're ne- you're never gonna give us the answers that we need." Um, sorry, but uh, yeah, so that happens in March of 1986. In August of 86, Lady True is born, second coming. In uh, June of 87, Angela Abar's parents are killed. We saw that happen in Vietnam. Um. That sucked. <laughs> Damn, right? 87? Yes. That's crazy. Yeah, because she was born in 77. Yeah, so we saw her at age 10 uh, hanging out in Vietnam with her parents when a suicide bomber takes their life. Um, a suicide bomber that was probably upset with the fact that America was a state. So you can kind of almost, she kind of almost traces the blame all the way back to Manhattan. Well, that's all what everybody was doing. Everybody yeah. was blaming the whole fact that whatever's going on in our world in 2019 is because Manhattan came down from the sky in 77 and decided to just destroy everybody or whatever. Yeah. So he, um, in this instance, she ha- this is the beginning of her hating the idea and the person of Dr. Manhattan. And then, then yes, because she's... Because her parents are killed, she's placed in an orphanage because they don't know in what Vietnam, she, in no Vietnam. Less. They're treating her like crap. And then eventually she um, is released from the orphanage because they find an actual next to kin in her grandmother. Her grandmother picks her up, uh, jokes around with her about not having to deal with none of the BS that she's been dealing with in these Vietnam orphanages, including watch, she can't watch her Sister Night movie. So you could totally watch it with like, me. We're going to watch that when we get back. Yo. Let's go to Tulsa. That's where your family's from. Yada, yada, yada. And then June Aimbar has a heart attack. And right outside the taxi, right outside the taxi, bro, this and show is Angela so is sent back in. Oh, bro, this dude, man, this show is so wrong. In uh, January of 1993, Robert Redford is inaugurated president, succeeding Gerald Ford. And then May 28th of 93, I'm born. Check that out. Awesome, Watchmen. Uh, <laughs> January 21st, 1993. Um, so. When Adrian recorded that message, it was for this time. He recorded it in 1995. 90, 4.93. Yeah. yeah. So, 
in January 21st, 1993, Redford views Adrian Veidt's video message. And in that video message, we saw it was just basically like, I did this. I'm the one who sent the squid. It's, you're the one that's going to have to fix everything, but don't worry about it because I can help you out. And don't worry, you know. We, and then we he never calls him again. Right. And so Redford views Adrian Veidt's video message. Then he signs the Campaign Finance Reform and Donor Disclosure Act, which stops Vite from using his wealth to further influence the Democratic Party. Then he also <laughs> signs the Tech Recall. Wait, Redford ran as a Democrat. I'm done. Yes. That's the most unbelievable part of this whole thing. And then Redford also signs the Tech Recall and Reintroduction Act, which outlaws technologies thought to be responsible for the squid attack, which is why in this universe, no one uses cell phones. A lot of the tech that really? was built that... off of... I was wondering why I didn't see one cell phone in this whole show now that I think of it. A lot of the reason why, I mean, a lot of the technology that was deemed uh, to have been spurt, you know, been inspired by Dr. Manhattan has been, uh, you know, taken away. That makes That's sense cancerous. how Driver gets And then, yeah, you have the cancerous stuff away. from Manhattan and then you have the squid stuff, right? No one wants to touch any technology. They're all scared. They're like, why well, I don't know what any of this stuff does. You know, the more that I think about it, the more I think that Lindelof gave us a an original world after the events of 1985. Yeah. That's so crazy that in 2019, the it's most... It's kind of the hardest thing. How this it... would be... You got arrested for something like this. Like... Yeah, you know, no, tell you the truth, now that we're talking about it, ultimately, what happened is, Watchmen ended with the departure. Yeah. And... Damon never started, kind of started with the departure, but he didn't start with a worldwide departure. He started like, with one departure that we see. Um, and so he was in the back for this because he didn't write why the event happened. He wrote what, how did people react to the event and how did society react to the event, which is this. Leftovers. Yeah, it's which leftovers. leftovers is this. So all he has to do is answer what happened after the fact. You don't have to answer why it happened. He has to answer why. It's like, who cares why it happened? Here's how people coped with reacted it. Reacted it. Yeah, 100% reacted to it. So... We have, um, where, yes, so Squid Attack. 1994, Judd, Fathers di- Judd Father dies as a highway patrol officer. Uh, 1995, um, Laurie Juspesic and Dan Dryberg solve one last case together, killing Timothy McVeigh before he can bomb Oklahoma City. Eh, I would have left Oklahoma City. Special Agent David Latimer of the FBI's Vigilante Operations Division interrogates Laurie about the killing of Timothy McVeigh. Lori cooperates. Dryberg does not. He's sent to prison. And she is, as you know, still here. Because she does Lori a plea deal. Junipesky. And she starts to work. <laughs> Jupesic. Jupesic. Which was changed, I think, to Jupiter in the comic as an easier thing to call her. Lori Jupiter. Sally yeah, wasn't Jupiter. she Miss Jupiter? Didn't they Sally call Jupiter her? was her mom. Lori Jupiter was her. But it, it, it sounded like one of those Ellis Island, change the name so everyone can say it kind of thing. Uh... She just called her Juniper. So make yes. it easier. So in 1995, the FBI also in 1995, like literally three days after um, Dryberg does not comply, the FBI raids Merlin Corp, Dan Dryberg's company, and seizes the blueprints for Excalibur. I don't know what that has to do with anything. In 1999, Adrian Veidt regains all the wealth he lost in the aftermath of the Dimensional Incursion event by licensing the technology to clone pets. We've seen this. Which you see, wow, okay, so that's, that's Vite technology. That's Vite tech, baby, because he was always, you know, um, doing weird Smartest biological Smartest man alive, yeah. Stuff. 
But remember, we saw that weird scene where the lady's like, oh, this dog looks like this dog. Oh, it doesn't. And she just throws it in an incinerator. That's Vite Technology. I guess. Which I guess makes sense now that you see that he was literally plucking tadpoles from a freaking lake and throwing them in a microwave. Should something be said that it does seem like those that are led or inspired by science are viewed or portrayed as almost abnormally cruel? Yeah. Yeah. Is that something I'm just getting or is that something that's being displayed? No, I think that's that's just a trope at this point that if you're a that if you're a scientist, you have to automatically be a mad scientist and the world is just one big experiment and what's one life, two billion lives and that's just how it always is that, Yeah, is it is it is it trying to say like it's a slippery slope like once we start thinking in zeros and ones, then we're all just zeros and ones and we could just discard, well, that's a real life thing, discard you know? it, discard ourselves and stuff, discard other people, I mean discard others the way you would throw out a, a clone pet like what if your belief is that this is just some sort of like temporary shell, shell yeah. and that your real actual life exists after this life you everybody to you is going to be like ah oh, you don't matter cuz you know you're just going to be something great when you die like yeah, yeah. it's it's crazy it's irrational it's crazy um it, it is it's absolutely banana pants 2001 no space odysseys but Lady True graduates from MIT with four PhDs. Oh, is this going to be a universe where 9-11 doesn't exist? 9-11 does not happen. It doesn't happen. Oh, that means that we can go see Twin, Twin Towers. towers. Are, yeah, they're actually in the pod. When they do the pod interrogation, then they show the Twin Towers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, 2004, June and Judd Crawford. First of all, I'm not with like having the same first letter if you're a couple. Yeah, I'm, I will never ever date a Diane. I will never Dan date Diane. a Debbie. I will never I Dan and Debbie. Because then our initials are gonna literally be DG if we get married. Yeah, Mrs. DG. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. So the Crawfords moved to Oklahoma. Oh, I bet they do. In 2004, the Tenth Circuit de- decides Greenwood's the uh, decides Greenwood survivors versus State of Oklahoma. So the Tulsa thing gets decided in 2004. Laying the is that the the Robert Redford reparations? Lay, laying the groundwork for reparations or the eventual Redford. reparations. <laughs> In 2007, True Industries introduces nostalgia to the market, um, which kind of sucks. I would not take that drug at all. I'm sorry, but I'll end up I'll end up going insane. I'm just gonna swallow a whole well, bottle. And that's also some sort of like meta commentary on like memories and. On us not ever being able to leave things alone. <laughs> on us not ever being able to leave uh, properties alone. This book is written... I mean, the story, this series is created out of nostalgia for the other book. They stopped manufacturing it because they found that people wouldn't stop obsessing over the worst parts of their lives. They would take nostalgia and just sit in the worst parts of their lives. And, and so they were like, man, I'd take nostalgia and just revisit my first date with Jasmine just yeah. every day for the rest of my life. I literally would just take a pill just so I can just have our first date every day. I'd be pretty cool. Uh, so in 2008, after she introduces nostalgia to the market, Lady True, we just saw this, Lady True visits Vite at Karnak and asks him to fund the Millennium Clock. She also tells him, I'm your daughter and you my daddy. I'm I'm sample two three four six. How did you feel about Lady True's? Oh, sorry, Adrian's response to the basic, you know, daughter on the on the doorstep kind of situation. You know, his responses to everything this entire series has just been gold mines. That it's it's hard to like pinpoint what would be my favorite. But that whole what? 
is just amazing. When he's just like, what? Every time he's like, what? 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 Um, I... I'm trying to formulate this thought. This, these, these series of events, I think, are the most important because these are the ones that are the biggest ones post-Watchmen um, from 2008 forward. So we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about these events. Uh, the most we're going to talk about is the last 24 hours. But I wanted to say that I feel like, especially in that in the episode and what is to become of Adrian Veidt, that we find out definitively how Damon Lindelof feels about Adrian Veidt. Yeah. But I don't think that his vision of Adrian Veidt is the only Adrian Veidt. Does that make sense? No, no. You're, when well, I you're on the money. When I originally read the comic, he didn't seem pompous. He seemed idealistic. He seemed maybe too florid. Like he, everything he said had he to be quoted though. or whatever. He was definitely a narcissist. A narcissist. I mean... I, aren't we all? <laughs> like, yeah, you know what? Like, Damn. Like, aren't we all? Like, like he was just making toys and stuff. Like, but he literally tried to, he tried to save the world. And then, then I feel like Lindelof, and maybe it's my misinterpretation of the of the of the uh, graphic novel or even the series. But I feel like he made it about him, where I felt like Adrian actually wanted to make it about the actual lives that were saved. Yeah, like um, the comic book. Adrian, uh, Adrian, yes. I feel like the comic book Adrian may have been pompous and may have been an ass and all those kinds of things, but he actually thought he was doing the very best oh, no, no, for humanity, it. not well, just that was for... the Adrian that I saw in, in the 2009 Watchmen. He didn't see... When it dropped the ball that he was the bad guy and he was doing all of this, I'm just like, wait a minute. This is the guy that's talking about bringing us into the 22nd century in the 80s. Like, that like that scene when he was... Uh, when. Where he stages the guy that tries to kill him in the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just talking about all of his technology and what it's going to do and how much that he loves Ozymandias. I forgot and he Ali- went that far. <laughs> Joe, he went that far to have his, his own, own self yeah. be fucking... I just look, because it happens in the comics, too, where he's covering the guy's mouth and he's like, talk. But he's while he's doing that, he's putting a, a, a cyanide capsule they in, did that in the They did that in the movie really good, too. <laughs> he's like... Well, I don't know. He's not saying anything. Yeah, you, see, you, you literally see him like with his thumb stuffed the cyanide capsule in his mouth, and then he grabs it by so the maybe, neck. Maybe like, who are you bit, working for? So maybe there's a little bit of sociopathy there. Uh, but I feel like, listen, when you got the comedian crying and and questioning his life, you you got to be something big. Yeah, Adrian. Um, in this series, I feel like is incredibly egotistical, incredible, and it, I don't consider it a gross mischaracterization. Oh, not at all. I just consider it a person's interpretation. The same way, like uh, every Superman movie is somebody Superman. You understand? It's not none of them are wrong, outright wrong adaptations like Man of Steel, but they all. I feel like they all are grounded in the truth of what the character is, and so is this. In a I way. also think this is the best interpretation of eight. I mean, we only got two on-screen interpretations of Adrian. And if I was to look at the 09 Watchmen and then think, okay, this is a continuation of some kind, that would be who Adrian would be would become. Jeremy Irons of this show is definitely So you like ranting and raving uh, crazy <laughs> Ozymandias? Oh, I loved, I loved every time he's in his purple and yellow suit just going crazy. Yeah. But Jeremy Irons is also an amazing actor. So, I mean, he, he, he was our Alfred. And he yeah. did a really good job as Alfred. So, he's also Scar. So, he always likes playing something. Yeah. 
He yeah, always I, plays a bad that's guy. That's where I first knew him from. So. Scar? Yeah. See, so funny. Love that voice. When I, the very first movie I ever... Not counting Lion King because it's animated, but the very first live-action movie that I ever saw with Jeremy Irons in it that I fell in love with them was Dungeons & Dragons. I don't think I've ever seen Dungeons & Dragons. With fucking um, Marlon Wayans and this Marlon other... Marlon Wayans like, in Dungeons & Dragons? Marlon Wayans was in a Dungeons & Dragons movie, and his character name was Snails. Uh, yeah. There's a lot going on there. But Jeremy Irons was the great in that movie. Um. Yeah. Also, his music. So it, he he acts. Oh yes, he acts into the Millennium Clock. So she basically tells him two things. One, why are you still doing like the little squid? We find out that he's still doing the little squid attack. So he's he's sending random squid. Does he have it by like timer? Because he was sending an algorithm. It's a, like a timer and algorithm to send to just shoot ran like dimensionally transport. Random groups of baby squids, and just rain them down. And they're the meant sky. to keep you that the, it was meant to believe that the squid was still out there. Out there might the come back. Was still out there that maybe dimensions were just randomly opening up, and the, the 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 squids for the most part were harmless. They would just dissolve and stuff. But he kept at it to keep up the story that he had been years. That man time. kept up that lie. That's that's commitment. That's oh, commitment God. to a lie. Um, and so she's like. Yeah, uh, you kind of did nothing with Dr. Manhattan. I would totally just steal his powers and make the world a better place. She's like, how? He's like, I, she's like, I completely know how to. I just don't have the money for it. And so Isn't he's that like, the problem? Yeah, Isn't that he, the problem with life? And he, yeah, we all have. We big, all know what to do. We just don't have the money to fund it. That's it. And so he's like, well, I got my own thing on my own. Why would I ever give you any money? And she's like, well, you're my dad. And he's like, well, I'll never call you daughter. You are a semen sample, and you need to leave. <laughs> I love that whole interaction. It's like, I'm going to give you what my, parent, what my parents gave me, or nothing. Yes. Oh, no, he inherited money from his parents and gave it away. Yes. Do you think that with this uh, generational trauma, she's inherited some sort of kind of crazy egotistical bite juices through... Through the mom? Through the turkey baster, I guess. Fucking <laughs> turkey. I don't know. I don't know how these no, things I, work. No, I, I I'm think not a I think now that you're bringing up the whole generational trauma, it kind of does like in a sense run a theme in this show. Like this whole season has been about like you feeling the past traumas of people in your family. Like she, or, or the or the eh, or all the unique things that we can pass down to generation by generation. Uh, you know, like traumas or heroic. I guess she would be feeling the generational identities. Trauma. All that kind of stuff like that. Well, she's definitely feeling generational trauma from her her mother. Yeah, because she cloned her mom. Yeah, and the thing is her mother, we know her mother went through trauma because there's a scene in which she recalls remembering walking through jungle for miles as soldiers like prodded at her to I think that was the Vietnam War. That's exactly Yeah, she was was walking through the village when Manhattan came and just started like doing his ride of the Valkyries. Or at least when comedians showed up and started, you know. I'm going to throw my fan theories beyond is actually the baby that was in Comedian's little... She'd be too young. She'd be too young? Yeah, she'd be too young because that uh, V-Day is in the 70s and uh, Lady True is born in 80-something. I had these numbers all here together. Yeah, she would... Yeah, there's, there's about a good 10-year gap there. Yeah, and People were wondering whether or not Lady True was that baby. That was one and of the that initial... Beyond, that would have been Beyond's death. Well, we didn't know at the time that Beyond was... Even existed, yeah. Was was the mother. We thought Beyond was um, Lady True's daughter. 
So it would have she was giving her 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 mother's memories. Okay, but she was really giving her back her memories. Right. Exactly. Yes. Sickness. Yes. That's exactly. That's exactly. That's all that. It's exactly what we thought it was going on. So, uh, in June of two thousand and nine. Dr. Manhattan meets Angela Abar in a bar on VVN night. And they have a long series of conversations and he spits the best inter- interdimensional game he can and tells her that they're going to meet up, up tomorrow. Yo, I, I, he was getting so annoying with it that I, I felt like this was Lindelof's interpretation of how Dr. Manhattan How would annoying talk. Dr. Manhattan would be? Yo, because he's just like, you, your, your middle name is like Erica or something. He's like, how do you know my middle name? You're going to tell me in like seven minutes. Yo, shut up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, but I felt like that was a little bit labored only because every time that I saw him talk like that, he spoke to himself. Every time in the comic that I saw him speak like that, he talked to himself. He wouldn't sit and have this conversation with Rorschach. What the hell would Rorschach g- gather or glean from any of this? So um, I, I felt like that was a little bit labored. But how did you feel about Dr. Manhattan trying to pick up a chicken in a bar? That's Trying to pick up a bar in a bar. That's that's hilarious. A bar uh, walks into a bar. A blue man walks into a bar or something like that. That's that's pretty fucking funny. But I did. L- did you buy him wanting to date somebody? Yes. Did you 100%. buy Angela uh, g- getting hook, line, and sinkered? Did you buy um, uh, her like line of questioning about like what well, isn't he on the moon? Oh, everything or was he- everything was pretty realistic as far okay. as like how it is when you approach a girl for the first time and you're trying to talk, but. I always felt even in the movies and comics that Dr. Manhattan, that was the one thing about him that you couldn't, that no experiment could take away from him. His feeling of love. Sure, he could feel dissociated with reality, but, you know, nobody wants to die alone. Yeah. Nobody. You could be a a cold, unfeeling god and you would still want someone next to you if this is going to be the last you're ever going to be alive for. So I did like that, but I also, it's like the whole thing where his relationship was with Laurie. I felt like he was in that movie. He was going through the motions of his relationship with Laurie, other than yeah, because he he, did, would, he didn't realize what he would lose because he didn't consider that it would be anything of value. And yet, when he got cheated on, he obviously reacted. Felt, yeah, and he felt yeah, that. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I like seeing I like seeing think, people that you wouldn't think feel love feel love because I feel like that's like the most real human emotion you can have. That makes a lot of sense. Um. So two weeks after. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. That same year, 2009, Dr. Manhattan visits Agent Veidt in Karnak after an argument with his wife. Well, yeah, it was, wasn't it was he Cal. was having a conversation with Manhattan, Angela, and the grandfather all like the same time? It was just because yeah. that's the way the episode was cut. Well, first, that. first, this is him talking to Adrian Veidt. Um, when you know, because he he picked up the body, Adrian. Um, and sorry, in. A month, two weeks after he, a bar and Manhattan chill in the bar, Manhattan adopts the appearance of Calvin. No, that's so that they can date. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I remember now. At, but in between July and December, they have a series of arguments in which she realizes how fun it is to actually date a god. She's not with it. She's not having fun at all. We're about to argue right now. Like, oh my god. And so, in figuring out what he wants now. Dr. Manhattan visits Agent Veidt in Karnak for the first time since Agent tried to blow him up in 1985. 
So he finds Adrian watching his uh, bank of TV monitors, complaining that humanity keeps making bombs despite the energy resources he's given them. Adrian realizes that Cal is Dr. Manhattan since he arrived naked, and once Cal puts on a suit, he tells Adrian it's been 24 years since they last met. He recounts how Adrian tried to destroy him, and Adrian fabricates another alien incursion for the rest of the world. Adrian insists that he is maintaining world peace. He wonders why Manhattan is masquerading as an African-American man and thinks that love is involved. Cal admits that her name is Angela and explains that he told Angela who he really was the moment that they met. Adrian figures then, then Cal wants to probably be mortal, and Cal asks him for his help. Adrian says that they could insert a ring into Cal's cortex that would short-circuit his abilities so that he can only use them in life-threatening situations. Uh, Adrian tells him he needs to have Angela put it in Cal's brain so he'll forget who he is. Later that afternoon, um, oh yeah. Oh, he had to visit Will yes. before he that's exactly, that's exactly what it is. Later that afternoon, he visits Will Reeves at Nelson Gardner's apartment and informs an alliance. Reeves begins investigating Sheriff Judd Crawford. Uh, we'll get back to that in a bit. Um, Adrian laments that his plans for a great future are ignored and asks Cal if he'll live to see his utopia. Uh, Cal tells him that he will, but not on Earth. He created beings designed to care for others rather than themselves, and he did it on Europa. Their unceasing love and devotion is unsatisfying, so he must leave them, leave his creations behind. That just sounds like slavery with extra steps. Yeah, because this, the creations are still there, and they're just waiting on somebody to worship. And Adrian figures, like, well, that must sound like paradise. So Cal, without blinking, Manhattan just sends him over there, which is crazy, right? That is transport people. No, he could just- no, but not only that, but the idea that he would transport that man there, and then know that he's about to undertake a procedure that was gonna. Make him forget that he put that man there. <laughs> right? Like, that's all in line. There. And that's why he was stuck there. Yeah. Because for the next, like... Eight... And it would have been fine if he was fine with the with the same garbage every day. But it ends up not being fine because he's fight. And he would get bored of that so quick. Imagine seven years. I can only imagine how bored he must get having to eat the same cake every day for he's a jolly good fellow. And... So now that he's transported in Europa, this is 2009. Um, or he's over there transporting into Europa. So, uh, Cal shows Angela the ring and explains that she just pushes it into his head uh, once he becomes tangible. He misses he don't know if it's going to work and that's why it's a risk. And he suggests that Angela tell him it was an accident when he wakes up. She suggests to move to Tulsa, where her family is from, and Cal agrees. So the inhibitor is placed inside his head, and Dr. Manhattan is no more for the time being. On December 23rd, Angela Abar takes Calvin Jelani to Ramport Memorial Hospital in Saigon to seek treatment for his amnesia. In 2010, Trio Industries begins launching space probes. In 2010, uh, December 14th, uh, 2010, Adrian Veidt begins writing his play, The Watchmaker's Son. That night, he celebrates his first year on Europa with champagne and cake, which we see. Oh, that timeline must be fucked it, Every time we see him, it's a year, basically. It was a year previously. Yeah. Well, no, it's a year... Well, what? Yeah, look, all right, we're watching We Angela. start in 2019. Yeah, but every time he we go... He starts in 2010. That's... Where he, yeah. So that first that first cake that we see to commemorate the show was his first year on Europa. Yes. yes. And every time it's a cake, it's a new year on Europa. Yes. Holy shit. Yeah. 
this thank God you did this timeline shit. That's why that's why I did it. Did it for you guys at home and I did it for us to get a better understanding. The the nonlinear te- storytelling is great, but when trying to recap the stuff, it is a it's, nightmare. Yeah, it's like, wait, didn't this happen? Oh, but this And then happened you have to be first, like and, and then, then you have to say and then but earlier, but then and then in the future and it gets really, really bad. Um so check this out. So this is I'll give you the first couple years of Adrian Vite, right? Adrian Vite begins writing his play, The Watchmaker's Son. That night, he celebrates his first year in Europa with champagne and cake. In 2012, uh, after a failed test of a spacesuit design, Adrian Vite exchanges nasty letters with the game warden, then goes hunting at midnight in his full Ozymandias outfit. 2013, Adrian Vite celebrates four years on Europa by murdering his entire staff, then stays up all night training their replacements. 2015, uh, no, 2014, Adrian Vite launches himself out into the atmosphere, writes a message on the planet, and gets himself arrested. After he gets himself arrested... Oh, yeah, because the trial went on for like 400 it's a year, days. It's a year. So in 2015, his trial ends, he's found guilty, and despite a stunning closing argument, uh, he is um, put into jail. Oh, a stunning closing argument, yeah. <laughs> In 2016, uh, Vite is given a horseshoe hidden with his seventh anniversary cake. Tracking? That's crazy that every time we saw Vite, it was another year. Uh, this show, the only tragedy that I have in recapping this show is that because the episode, the last episode, the, the last episode of the series debuted on Sunday, and I had to compile all my notes and rewatch it. Um, the only tragedy, the biggest tragedy I have is not being able to rewatch the show again. Because I think with all this context, with the linear storytelling, with everything that we know that Will had planned, that Dr. Manhattan had planned, the Lady True had planned from the beginning, all of the Ozymandias stuff would all be so much clearer. And um, I'm, I one day I will go back and, and revisit this. And it would be very interesting to plug in some of these uh, pieces. Yeah, this is something that I'm going to have to binge in one. Yeah. Like, I'm literally going to have to binge all nine of these episodes. Just take a day and just do it. Cause yeah, man. Once you're like that, that's always the tragedy of things. Once you watch something, once you read something, once you hear something, you can't undo it. Yeah. So then you lose that 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 like first time experience. So here's the funny thing, though. Um, ten days after that horseshoe is given to Adrian Vite, the White Knight happens. Oh my God, he's on Europa during the whole White Knight incident. So the White Knight happens, and that's uh, uh where a bunch of Seventh Cavalry, um, you know, white supremacists go and attack cops in um in the city which uh, Angela gets attacked but something mysteriously happens um, and she is seemingly saved. Yeah, one of the guys gets transported to New Mexico. But if we're talking <laughs> if we're talking linear something um, happened a white light. The white knight reveals that Dr. Manhattan is located where Dr. Manhattan is located to the Cyclops. Yeah. Also true because when he tra- well, she threw the through the She Cyclops. was using the Cyclops yeah. the whole time. Yes. To- to yes. help her without them knowing, and she even let them her. build the build the machine, so to trap Manhattan, the the, the jail cell. Oh, she they really they really gave like a vite personality in her. She was really vite in. Yeah, because this is three years before anything happens. So, on December twenty seventh, because this all happened on Christmas Eve, class Christmas Day. The yeah, White Knight was yeah, on the White Knight was Christmas on Day the Eve. <laughs> Judd Crawford gets promoted. Good old, Chief. good old Crawford. And uh, Angelo Abar wakes up in the hospital to find Judd Crawford there. And a beautiful friendship begins. Because he ain't do nothing, I guess. Uh, 2017, True Industries acquires Vite Enterprises. Well, you know Vite, I guess. Whoops. 
the Defense Against Police Act or DOPA allowing police officers to wear masks is passed. This is in 2017. So in universe, we've only been dealing with this for two years. Wow. That's yep. crazy. One of the people that sponsored the uh, act is Senator Joseph Keene Jr., the son of the man who passed the uh, Keene Act outlawing vigilanteism. So it's weird that his son gave people back masks, but it is what it is. Angela Abar becomes Sister Knight also in 2017. And in 2017, Lady True arrives in Tulsa. Uh, and That's when I'm, she buys that farm. Well, in December of 14th of 2017, Lady True... Um, Oh, yeah. Lady True's uh, rescue airship arrives on Europa. Damn. So, in December 14th, 2017, is when Adrian Byte looks out the window and sees a spaceship. Which was the last episode. Right. Um, is that st- same spaceship from that, that was, like, coming down? So, in 2018, Lady True purchases the Clark Farm shortly after Byte's spaceship lands there. <laughs> that was right in the second that fucking episode. That, that was light bite who landed, and thus we saw him every so often after that. Uh, That's what bugged me out. Solidified. That's what bugged me out. Now that I now that we knew that Vite that, that his uh the cryo sleep was sprayed gold. Every time you see a gold Vite, I'm like, yo, is she just like keeping him there? Just not only that, but the 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 nothing. As a fan of Damon Lindelof or, or of the stuff that I've seen him do, nothing is ever done for no reason. Oh, 100%. There's nothing done for no reason on these shows. And one of the things that they constantly do is they play with transitions. And one of the things they constantly did with this is they would they would go to the statue and then real fight and back and forth. And you would never really know why, what they were trying to tell you, but it was because that was him. Um, and you see that kind of level of direction, especially if we're in spoiler-filled territory, right? Yeah. When True dies, well, th- the first two times you see her before she dies, the- they have the Jesus statue right there in the same scene. Yeah. So you see her standing. She's like this. Jesus statue is in the same scene with her on the side. Cuts back. She looks up. It's the same Jesus statue. And then finally, when she goes to die, you see the, the freaking statue Jesus falling down. Yeah, yeah the, the, the statue fall off the cross. Yeah. That shit is what makes good TV. It's what makes good movies. What makes no, good storytelling. Tori- like, this is the kind of shit that I tell people exist. You just got to go look for it. Yeah. Yeah. These kinds of stuff exist if you just look for it. That's why, like, the attention to detail is great on this show. And that's why the story unfolds so easily. And so, like, oh. So, in 2000 and, uh, sorry, in August 29th of 2019. So, now we're in 2019. The FBI starts using computers again. And so on September 1st, Special Agent Dale Petey writes a memo urging the FBI not to declare Vite dead for fear of angering right-wingers who want him found and punished for his role in the Rorschach disappearance. The right-wingers hate what? Hate Vite. That's fucking great. Yeah. You would think it'd be the right-wingers that because, love him. No, because what it looks like is it looks like the Democratic Party is lying for Vite. In saying that it never happened. Yeah. Well, that's right, because Vite's plan of the squid got a Democrat elected president right. for the next, like, 10 years. Right, took away people's guns, all that kind of stuff. That's right, he did. That's right, they, they were saying that he took away their guns. Which became a whole thing, right. So, um... See, that's... If anybody wants to say anything of how woke Watchmen is, they should look at how, really, the Democratic Party is the bad guys of this show, really. Yeah. They, so, they, they play that no one's 100% innocent. 
exactly. we see how we see how the cops act when given full reign. They're monsters in, in the show. <laughs> I mean, in the show, when <laughs> cops are given full reign, they are monsters. I mean, you're right with the whole nobody's innocent, everybody's got lies, everybody has secrets because Angela, for the entire show, knew she dated Doctor Manhattan. She had a god on speed dial, basically. She like that's so, and crazy. it was more important to her to keep that secret than it was anything he could have done. Yeah, which is. That's a lot. That's that Lindelof he, writing. You were talking before about how, what is it? There's no point in being woefully ignorant. Yeah, there is no power. He went out of the, his way to surrender both his power to be ignorant of who he was, um, which is, that's crazy. Uh, I do love the actor that played him, though. When I when we finally got the blue glory, Dr. Manhattan's, like, his whole, like, monotone delivery was perfect for these last two episodes. Really good. Absolutely perfect. Um, So now... We've now officially started the events of the show, <laughs> so let's go. Let's let let's go because uh, it's gonna the longest time we're gonna spend is gonna be on those last two episodes. So, um, September eighth. These are all in two thousand nineteen going forward. September eighth, Sheriff Crawford and his wife attend a production of Oklahoma. Officer Charlie Sutton of the Tulsa Police Department is shot by a Seventh Cavalry member during a routine traffic stop. That was the very first episode. Remember? Yeah. September 9th, Adrian Veidt is declared legally dead. Angela Abar attends career day at her son's school. A squid fall hits Tulsa, uh, and that afternoon, Angela Abar kidnaps a 7th Cavalry member to interrogate him about the shooting. The police raid the 7th Cavalry facility at the cattle ranch, which was one of the most intriguing action scenes I've ever seen, where cattle is being used as... Uh, things that block behind, but I'm guessing you're talking about the horses from the Comanche thing. That's, That's basically what it was supposed to be, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, it's that it everything means something, and it's fucking all symbolic. It. All it's... of it, all of it's worth it. Uh, but but September tenth, American Hero Story Minutemen premieres, and Senator Joe Keen announces that he's running for president. September fifteenth, the Crawfords have dinner at Cal and Angela's house. Later that night, Will Reeves and Crawford meet for the first and last time. Will uses a modified form of the hypnotic technology to make Judd hang himself. Angela meets Will Reeves and shows him her restaurant, and he says. I think I could lift 200 pounds. <laughs> Which was like, no, okay. Well, after all that happened and she saw him, she's like, are you kidding me? Well, he was walking by the end of the show, so uh, he never needed that wheelchair. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not lying. Yeah, I forgot about all that. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't need it. She destroys the wheelchair. Yeah. She, she destroys she, she it like, the next day or like, whatever. Uh, with a hacksaw. To hide the evidence, yeah. Uh, okay, so September 16th, the Tulsa Police Department finds Crawford's body and rouse the local Nixonville. Angela visits the Greenwood Center for Cultural Heritage and drops off Will's DNA sample. Nixonville, Jesus Christ. Later, uh, she visits Jane Crawford and is surprised to discover a wake is in progress and even more surprised to find she f- what she finds in Crawford's closet. Back at the restaurant, Angela arrests Will, but he escapes in a flying car. Friends in high places. Literally. Both Drew and Manhattan at that point when he said that sentence. Yeah. Now, he would have yeah. already met with uh, Cal. And he was already uh, dealing with True. True was going to help him give her the nostalgia because Cal asked him to come back so she could have family. And so instead it's of... It's so crazy. Manhattan knew he was going to be sacrificing himself. The whole time. Yeah. The whole time. Uh, so... Oh, another thing is the being surprised about the wake is because they didn't do like a toxicology report. They didn't do like fingerprints, none of that stuff. Yeah, they just went straight into his funeral. Yeah, which is like... What are you? Where's the autopsy? Yeah, yeah. What are you trying to hide? Um, and then finding that clan robe, 
which I need to know. Like, I'm I I I'm, I want to say it's safe to assume that Judd Crawford was a cyclops. But then again, that last line that he told to Will, where he's like, "I'm just trying to help you people," it's like he's like, "Yeah, he's like, you don't understand. I'm trying to help you people." Or what were what was his intentions? Was he trying to be like the behind enemy lines thing, or was he just trying to lie to save his own skin? That's a good question. Um, would he lie to save his own skin? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I feel like his father was really into it. Maybe he wasn't as into it. He he might have been keeping the racist peace, which might be just as bad as being racist, right? Yeah, that is just as bad. So, so I think that that's ultimately where it comes down on that. But we actually find out why he was bad enough to kill later on. We'll get there in a bit. Uh, well, uh, cultural heritage, yada yada yada. Okay, September seventeenth. Lori Blake captures the Revenger. We should talk a little bit about Jean Smart as Lori Blake. Uh, She's an amazing actress. I've always loved her. I've always loved her too. Her dialogue in this show is amazing. Yeah, she one of the takes best writings. the air out of everyone. She puts hey, everybody on. Guy. She puts everybody on front street because she's a cynic and she's a pessimist and she's everything that her father was I mean, kind of she dated like the two smartest men in, of that time cuz i feel like Dryberg yeah, yeah, is they, underratedly intelligent and her dad kind of raped her mom it's it's a whole thing then she came back to finish the job <laughs> yeah and you saw how that they did that whole thing like um Petey's like reading off her file or whatever and he's like yeah her dad raped her mom and like that's true yeah, but he all... said it so matter of factly that it was just like as if he read it a thousand times like yeah uh, her dad's actually uh the comedian and her mom was the first silk spectre and her dad tried to rape her mom and so I'm... okay another thing is she says that all masks are worn to high trump do you believe that uh it's certainly a recurring theme in this show that people behind masks have trauma and i could say that it's true because look at Lori only member that didn't have a mask. Yeah. She never wore no mask. She in, still don't wear no mask. She still don't. She still ain't got no mask. So she has nothing to hide. She has nothing to fear. She's... What'd you like about uh, Jean Smart as Lori? Joel, you basically took my whole answer. Just the, the writing that they gave her was on point. Just a, hey, you, mirror guy, come here for a sec. That that kind of delivery is... Like, especially from from this the actress... name's Looking Glass. Especially from this <laughs> actress that's been mostly like... White suburban mothers, like oh, that's who she is. So I heard from somebody because I've not watched the, the the movie, and I know you know I haven't, and you're very sad about it. But I heard that there's a scene in Old Brother where art thou, in which cattle are also shot. Yeah, and that Wade Tillman basically goes like, "Oh no, George, not the cattle," or something like that. Which is like, <laughs> why I don't understand what Wade. T- oh, I'm sorry. What um, gosh. What's his name again? The actor or the character? The actor. I Tim for- Blake Nelson. I forgot. I mean, is there some kind of Tim Blake Nelson killing cattle man- mandate on all his contracts? <laughs> Where he has to ride around getting cattle shot up? I just think that it's it's in his contract that he has to speak with like a, a Western accent in every movie. Well, he didn't him. have a Western accent in The Hulk. Uh, that's right. He didn't. Boom. The leader, bro. Comics. <laughs> Always here for you guys. Uh, so, um, <laughs> so Senator Keene visits her that night and asks her to travel to Oklahoma the next morning to look into the murder of, of Sheriff Crawford, saying she could pardon that night owl. 
Um, the next day, September 18th, Agent Blake and Petey attend a briefing on the 7th Cavalry, then fly to Tulsa. Blake visits the crime scene, the Crawford home, Crawford home, a police, a Tulsa Police Department interrogation site, a motel, and then attends Judd Crawford's funeral, where she meets Angela and her family. They talk further while investigating the 7th Cavalry's attack on the funeral. That night, Agents Blake and Petey hook up. Afterwards, Blake gives Manhattan a call and then sees Angela's car fall from the sky. Angela is there to hear it land because she's been paying a late night visit to the Greenwood Center for Cultural Heritage. This That's is another right, one of those. Yeah, episode twos and threes. This is the other thing that you were talking about about them doing the same episodes. Remember with, when she went to the Cultural Heritage thing? She went on the on the um, presumption that it was broken into. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, some guys broke into it. <laughs> she goes into, um, and again, uh. Just like all the other revelations about about this show or on this show, um, Lori tells the brick joke. Yeah, a little girl throws up a brick, doesn't come down. And then the series ends with almost bricks coming down and killing. Yo, this show got me so And killing the, killing the guy. You guys weren't You're here, man. <laughs> you guys were not here, but George was here to watch me pace around his house irately. Of it's how funny, they ended and it's funny because the show. I'm gonna look too deep into everything. The show is almost the baby squid equivalent to the massive squid. Yeah, it is yeah. the rerun that she oh. kind of like, like said in a dirty Keeping word. Keeping it around so you know that it still could happen at any moment. You type know, thing. and it's like Damon Lindelof could never make the squid. It's not his job to make the squid, but it's his job to continue the story and make us feel still believe that that universe exists. And I think he did so. But I find it funny that yeah, there is so many parallels that you can look and be like, oh yeah. So you sent bite into space. And you, like he did come back down, but you weren't ready ready for that actual brick to come back down. The thing that you sent up there and you forgot about, the thing that went up there and you forgot about, it's coming back down. It's always, it was always going to come back down. That was always very interesting. Uh, bu- 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 where are we up? To? Oh yeah, September nineteenth. Cal makes waffles. Angela gives Looking Glass the clan robes and the pills. Lube Man appears. Lori Blake visits Cal at home, which is now even more interesting. Oh my god! I never even thought of. The I remember fact that she, was she was like sitting there the whole time with him. And at one point, he, she was talking about somebody. And she's like, "He's no cow." And at the funeral, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's like, yeah, you got a pretty nice looking husband over there. Like he's no cow. Um, boo, 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 boo. Angela and Blake visit visit Lady True to ask about her drones. We also see um, that Beyond is there and that she's been giving nostalgia. And she is being forced to relive her memories in her new consciousness. That's so existential as fuck. Can you imagine being a clone of your previous self and now you're being, being raised by and being raised by your child? But not only are you being raised <laughs> by your child, but of all the memories that you're getting back little by little, you're getting all the traumatic ones first. Yeah. Those are the ones that are deemed most important. Which is a which to me is a commentary on racism and how we're supposed to combat it. If you're a black man in America, are you supposed to impart your children with the horrific truths and keep that those truths a constant reminder? Or are you supposed to tell them that they're able to do everything that they think they're supposed to be? To be honest with you. It should always yeah. be a little of both. It should always be 
the world isn't all sunshines and rainbows, but on the side that is sunshines and rainbows, you're going to you're going to thrive in this world because you're not being seen as a little black boy, a little black girl. You're being seen as a person. Then you have this side that you're not going to thrive because they only want white people in power. It's So you just just don't make it uh you know, knock on wood uh black and white. Don't don't make it that all is bad or all is good. Yeah, it's it depends on who you meet. Yeah. Cuz you could be the biggest asshole in the world outside of any time we've ever hung out. So, uh, you know, that's just how the way the world yeah, goes. Yeah, you don't know what, yeah, you don't know I don't what my know what, tolerance yeah, is. Yeah, I don't know what you do when I leave this house. You know, when I when I leave this house, you could probably get dressed up in a Supergirl outfit and sit on your bed. That is what I do, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> um, September 20th, Looking Glass spends the morning consulting a PR campaign for New York City. What do you think about the PR campaigns for New York trying to get people back over because the squid's been gone for... A uh, long time at this point. I can't believe people actually like booked it out of New York. Like, nope, nope, that's that's not where we're going. That's Ground Zero. I mean, did a lot of people move after nine eleven? I don't think that many people did. They a move? lot of people did move after really? nine. Yeah, I remember people move. I I know someone in my family left, not okay. because of that they were in the debris field or they lost out. They just didn't want to be in New York. Yeah, I can see that. Um, Lori Blake takes over the investigation into the Southern Calvary and sends the Tulsa PD to canvas local churches to find the Calvary's headquarters. That, that I think, was a a real-life, like, I guess, reference to Dylan Roof. Oh, because he was, The yeah. kid that shot up the church in Louisiana or yeah. Oklahoma or wherever he shot up the church. Yeah. Or Georgia, I think it was. I remember. Um, that night, Looking Glass alarm acts up. Uh, the next night, Looking Glass... Cons- oh, so the next day... Looking Glass consults on a breakfast cereal campaign and then visits his ex-wife at the whole pet cloning thing to find out what the pills are. Finds out that they're nostalgia and they basically have memories trapped in them. You're not supposed to take somebody else's. Yeah. Big thing. Never take, take anybody else's. Never nostalgia. get high in your own supply or something like that. I can't remember what exactly what it is, but something like that. Um, that night, he makes a new friend at a meeting of the extra-dimensional ex- anxiety sufferers. How do you feel about this this trauma? All of this trauma that Tillman has gone. How do you think it? How do you think it factors into his idea of being a police officer? Can you be both on the side of the law and side of conspiracies? Tell me everything that you like I or dislike about guilt. about uh, about Looking Glass. Tell me I feel all, like all Looking the... Glass was created out of survivor's guilt. Okay, everything that he does, the whole preparation of the squid and all, it's all survivor's guilt. As if, cause, as if, like, why wasn't it him, too, that didn't What a go? horrifying scene of him walking out and there, everyone's just dead. Dude, and that squid was huge. Yeah. huge. First time seeing it in live action. I was. I gave it a standing ovation. Yeah, you know I was standing right here. I gave that shit a standing ovation. I can't believe that they actually gave us the squid attack. Yeah. That's so awesome. But, yeah, he definitely has some kind of survivor's guilt. And also, I think he would have PTSD. I would have PTSD of something like this. And, what's and he's not the only one. It's not like he's... He's heading this meeting. There's a bunch of extra dimensional anxiety sufferers. This is the sick part. Are these people making up their 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 stress now? They could. Not in a sense that they're blatantly making up their stress. But are is placebo'd. somebody else? But is somebody else telling them this is why you're stressed? You're stressed because Adrian of this. made this himself. He didn't actually open up a dimensional no, portal. He made did. his own squid no and dropped it down. So these people that a lot of these people in the meetings that they that. That were for the PTSD. They weren't even like in there, in there really. It's like either around them or they lost family. Yeah, they would die. If they were too close, they would have died. Yeah, too close, they would have died. 
Only reason why Looking Glass doesn't is because he's in that Looking Glass. Which also gets me going. It's like House of Mirrors. That whole um, the headache thing that he gets. Could he? Could that just be a brain, like you know, his side effect from the that EMP blast inside the? That's the thing. It could be a bunch. It could be a bunch of different things. Maybe he's not good to be wearing reflectatine all damn day. Yeah. Who knows? The side effect Especially of that since is. he has them inside of his hat, like his normal old hat. So yeah, uh, I I do feel like these people are being bought on a on a trauma that they don't even actually know. It's crazy to think that way. The thing is, he thinks he bags one of them. That's what's sad. He thinks he bags one of them, and she tricks him and uh, basically leads him into a 7th Cavalry headquarters, uh, complete with Senator Joe Keane. So yeah, that was finally... kind of sad, where she's like, uh, we rigged the lettuce to fall out so you would f- notice us, and then you were actually talking to us on the police line, and not the... Yeah. Like, damn. They rigged the whole situation to get him over there. Just to tell him the truth. Right. He actually sees the tape that Adrian made for Robert Redford, which has to shatter everything everything he's ever believed in. The whole reason why he was reflected teen, this whole thing of interdimensional things just got shitted on because it never happened. It wasn't interdimensional. It was made right here on Earth by an Earthling. Can you imagine living a lot, not even your own lies, living someone else's lie without knowing it for 34 years? Imagine you found out that all cancers were fake. There was something that were treatable. But they didn't want to do it. It's like, it changes everything. But what's cool is that there's a scene of him going, getting angry, throwing out his uh, security equipment, and then pulling it back up out of the, out of the trash. Because <laughs> even in the face of the truth, if you're devout, it's very hard. He if isn't devout. If you've lived your very life, person. if you've lived your, but I'm saying in, in, in any aspect. Oh no, all the money he a, must have spent on that equipment. You believe it. He believes it. He 100% believes in this. And so for somebody to come in with uh, facts, alternate facts, as they like to say, right? It's like, um, you know, w- what do you believe in this instance? Um, and then the next day, Looking Glass turns over Angela Abar uh, over to Blake, uh, admits about the pills and the Will Reeves stuff. And then um, Abar takes a whole bottle of Will's nostalgia. And the 7th Cavalry pay Looking Glass a visit in his home. Are you ready for what is mostly the last 48 hours of watching? Basically. Uh, also, an- another thing, what's what's so awesome to me about this whole full circle storytelling is that Wade, his origin starts because of the squid in 1985. And then his or his basically his character arc seemingly ends by him dropping his own squids onto Tulsa, Oklahoma. That is crit. I'm just thinking of it literally right now while we were talking about Wade and his whole PTS trauma thing. It's like, wait a minute, he literally just helped drop machine gun versions of squids onto Tulsa in a five block radius. I don't know if that feels good or bad. I don't know if to him. Well, like, he got feel to, like he's in on the joke now. Well, he, or, you know what I'm saying? I like, mean, he cracked Adrian over the head, so he he probably feels pretty good about himself. Definitely has a black and white sense of honor, that man. Um, but 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 okay. So last 24 hours, 48 hours. Sorry, September 23rd, 2019. Angela continues to be treated for nostalgia. The majority of what was seen in the nostalgia we spoke about. Yeah. Uh, earlier, so we don't have because it was literally Will Reeves. Yeah, we don't got to go into backstory. That. Um, uh, Angela learns that the Manhattan phone booth supposedly connected to Mars route to True's facilities before True herself tells her that Manhattan is actually on Earth in Tulsa. 
disguised as a human being. After learning of the Calvary's plan to capture and destroy Manhattan and become just like him, True plans to activate the Millennium Clock within one hour to save the world. That's I like what she how tells True Angela. knew that Calvin was Dr. Manhattan the whole time because she even tell, she had gave her that line like, I just told you Dr. Manhattan has been living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you haven't told asked me who it is. Yeah. It's like, damn, she knows. Yeah, she she's knows. so good on it. Um, and this happens because, again, during the White Night, um, Angela was going to be attacked and Kyle as Dr. Manhattan transported the assailant to Gail Flats, New Mexico. Yeah. Halif- Halifax. Halifax. Halifax, yeah. yeah Halif- I spelled spell with a G, though. G-I-A-G. Something like shit. that. But yeah, yeah. So since then, they've all known and they've been just trying to suss them out, pull them out. Um, and so, yeah. Angela breaks free of True's uh, security. Rushes home and tells Cal that she loves him as a husband, calling him by the name John, before she bashes him in the head and pulls out a small disc, shaped like Manhattan's symbol, and his body starts to glow. Angela looks at the ring she took out of Cal's forehead and tells him that they're in fucking trouble. Dr. Manhattan floats in the air for a moment, and Angela tells him that they're in Tulsa, and it's the year 2019. And he just decides to make pancakes. She says that bad people are coming to hurt him, and realizes that Dr. Manhattan still has Cal's face. Angela tells him to change back to human for the children's sake, but Dr. Manhattan tells her he needs to move forward. Um, I'm, this is the only time we're going to diverge from the linear timeline to talk about the conversation that he had with um, Will. Only because it happens concurrently. Jesus. You, you understand exactly what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So what I'm, say, what I'm about to tell you guys happens both in 2019 and... And in 2009, at the same time, okay? So, in 2009, Cal goes to um, Will Reeves' house and says that they need to talk because Angela, um, something's going to happen. He's going to, you know, lose his memory. And he wants, before he goes, he wants Will to know that Angela is his granddaughter and that Angela wants family again. In the midst of this conversation, where he's prepping Will Reeves, Angela in 2019 says, what are you doing? And she says, I'm talking to your grandfather in 2009. Yes. So then Angela goes, oh, you're talking to him right now? He goes, yeah. She goes, okay. So ask him why he, why he killed Judd Crawford. So in 2009, 10 years before the event happens, Dr. Manhattan asks Will, why did you kill Judd Crawford? And he goes, who the hell is Judd Crawford? Sparking a freaking domino yes. effect of him going in. We talked about this two Always, weeks ago. So yes. over and over and over again in time, uh, she will get, she will be the incent, uh, you know, inciting incident as to why Will initially starts to investigate Judd and kill him, which then brings Lori Blake into town, and all the other all the other events seem to trickle down. From the death of Judd Crawford. Which is why I feel that all those conversations that we saw Dr. Manhattan have into a man walks into a bar are all happening at the same time. A lot of them, yeah. Because time time is relative, flat so circle. who fucking cares? It's a flat circle, as they say. Uh, bu- 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 yeah, that that's crazy because he says, Will says that he has no idea who Judd is, but he replies he's short. It's basically the, now. Do- it's a butterfly effect. <laughs> my favorite part, and my favorite part of majority of these last two episodes is Regina King's reaction to everything. So, like, in this moment, she's like, did I just, 
Oh, like son of a bitch. <laughs> she, she figures she it out. Realized she realized that she was the reason why. <laughs> she's hip to it. She's like, wait a minute. Oh my god. And we all realize it as adults. Damon Lindelof says he likes television that makes you reach higher. He won't make his television down so that it's accessible. So you get it, you get it, you don't, you don't. And that's and I why feel the like leftovers it's the same thing with leftovers. The leftovers They're is. all smart too. Like in the leftovers. They all figure it out. A lot of it's unspoken dialogue. You're looking at people's reactions. The emoting. To yes. You're yes. looking at people's reactions to things and you are putting, you're going through your head going, oh, I know what they feel in that moment and they must be thinking this here and now they've come to this conclusion here and that's why they just got angry. Um, And they did a real good job with that. One of my favorites of, of Lindelof's like work from The Leftovers specifically was when, oh shit, what was the name of of, Gar- of little girl Garvey? The The daughter. I tell you, when it, just, she, it literally just blanked. When she joined no, the guilty in. remnant and, yeah. and like her mom was, was like sees that she's part of the guilty remnant, and she doesn't want her to be a part of it. But then the people go and burn down the freaking the headquarters anyway. So you got the mother crying with a fire in the background. The daughter's there. Kevin Garvey's there, and it, all it is 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 that score over emotions. Yes. and you it's God. Ugh. This man makes good work. This uh, man makes really good work. Jill. Jill. Jill, Jill Garvey. Garvey. Jill Garvey. I had, to, I, had to, I had to find that out. I was going to go crazy. Um, so, Doc Manhattan tells Angela that Will didn't know who Judd was, but now he does. Angela realizes it's her fault. And Doc Manhattan's like, is it a bad thing that Judd is dead? Which I'm asking the same question. But that's what I'm asking. What <laughs> was, was Judd like the whole, like the behind enemy lines type thing? Was he trying to infiltrate the Cyclops? But he had the, his grandfather was in the Cyclops, maybe. But there's still enough. We find out later on that they're in because the wife's in the Cyclops. Yeah. So they're they're down with the Keens and all that kind of stuff, and they got cozy with Abar because they knew that she knew where Manhattan was. Okay. Um, and I, then once they threaten, because of the White Knight incident, yes, brings out Manhattan's whereabouts, yep. and that's when True, the cavalry, the Cyclops, but it the Cyclops brings out the whereabouts, but then he disappears. He quote unquote disappears again into Cal. Yeah. So they see Manhattan exist, and then he never exists again. If anyone knows who, why, where, or why he exists, it's Angela. So Judd, the next day, goes to her hospital bed, and they become fast friends. Okay. All right, then, yeah. It's a good thing he died then. And so they're all... now I'm putting yeah, it all together. Yeah. He was definitely, like, he trying to be... He was in on all that. Yeah, he was definitely I'm, I'm, I'm coming to terms and convicting his ass in my own head as well. Um... So, Dr. Manhattan teleports into the kitchen and makes waffles, and Angela smashes the floating eggs on the floor. She says that the 7K is coming for him, and Dr. Manhattan says that they're, they're in a truck parked across the street. They're armed with, tachyonic, with a tachyonic cannon that they'll use to involuntarily teleport him and then destroy him. Angela suggests to stop them, and Dr. Manhattan says they uh, can't, really. Angela puts on her Sister Night costume and goes out to fight the 7K. Dr. Manhattan stares at her and says that it's in this moment that is the moment when she tries to save him, and even though she can't, he loves her. He's been in love with her, and he's always been in love with her. And when she goes out to uh, shoot up with the 7K, um, they open side. I'm oh, sorry. Angelo goes out and sees the 7K setting up their cannon. They spot her and open fire, and the two exchange shots. Dr. Mahan stands in the, in the house and listens to the gunshots. Angela kills the driver of one of the trucks and then drives it into the other. She's wounded, and the truck stops, and the 7K prepare to shoot her. Dr. Manhattan arrives and kills them, and Angela tells them, tells him 
that they win and he's wrong. He tells her that he wasn't and the remaining 7k fire the cannon teleporting him away. There's a lot of people that are not able to grasp this whole he can see it but can't change it thing. Yeah. Are you having issues with no, it? No, no, no. Okay, I thought because we it's all no, the thing is it. it's already going to happen. <laughs> yes. So there's no sense preventing it. It's going to happen. It, Let it, it happen. It happens. It happened already, yeah. just not yet. Which is weird when you say it like that. Because yeah. <laughs> time exact, is relative, man. That's, that's exactly what it is. It, it, it's already happened. It happened it's already it's happening, just happen. not yet. You think that the series of things that are happening are, are in opposition of fate, but they're actually in fate. Which is why he was in that pacifistive, Buddhist-type uh, kneeling when he was in trapped yeah. in the cage and he had like his feet was behind him that like that very like Middle Eastern like praying he's kneeling. basically succumbing he's, he's, he's uh, what's it called he knew surrendered he, was, he knew he was gonna die yeah. that was the whole thing he knew he was gonna die and that's why he kept Angela with him what about trapdoors Dan what about trapdoors listen man why do the 7k have trapdoors why doesn't someone jump off the couch when the trapdoor malfunctions the first time when someone's hitting the button over and over again Yo, for real, she's just there, just like like Joker in Dark Knight, just hitting the button. He's like, I'm sorry, hold on, maybe it's not this button. Oh, no, maybe this button. And Lori's just looking around like, wait a minute, what's going on? Girl, if you don't <laughs> get off that damn couch and just start jumping. Lori goes to speak to the to Jane Crawford about her husband's death, but falls into a trap door and is taken to the Calvary's headquarters, where Joe reveals their plan to capture Manhattan to fight against white discrimination. Because <laughs> it's hard to be a white man in America. Did you, Were you surprised by how quickly Jane gave up? The whole thing, like, I mean, Lori goes there with almost all the facts. Like, so she didn't even let her continue the speech, and that was like the second time yeah. that she's like, "Hey, listen, if I'm caught, fuck you." Like, yeah, yeah. that was it. Yeah. Uh, Lori's partner Petey tries to track down Looking Glass, finding his fallout shelter filled with dead cavalrymen, but there's no sign of him. On Europa, Vite uses the horseshoe to escape as a spacecraft lands outside of the castle. The game warden tries to stop him. Uh, but Vite stabs him with the horseshoe, revealing he created the game warden to be an adversary over the last eight years as part of his play, The Watchmaker's Son. The craft no, Vite's a fucking. He's just a madman. You no, know, it was is he was going insane, and he needed someone to like keep him on his toes and shit. So I understand. Yeah, the craft automatically lifts off, showing that Vite had spelled out "Save me, daughter." To yo, there was always a D on... in there, so I never. I... People were thinking it might have been Doctor Manhattan. Oh, or Doctor. Save me, Dr. You're not writing Manhattan. That's too long out there in space. Uh, I mean, isn't daughter in Manhattan like the same amount? Daughter of... is a lot of words too. Yeah. But there's no short for daughter, right? No, there is no. no there's there just isn't. son. Yeah, you wouldn't put true because she wants to be called daughter. So, Vite uh... is enclosed in gold for the return trip, and so now we've already did that with the majority of that about him, her getting it from the farm, and uh, keeping it in her garden. True revives Vite with an hour left before the Millennium Clock act, uh, activates. Millennium Clock activates. Vite is impressed that True did build her quantum centrifuge. A spear-like object detaches from the clock and floats towards the Greenwood district of Tulsa while True and her men set up equipment underneath it. At the Calvary headquarters, several high-ranking politicians arrive as members of the Cyclops, including the elder Joe Keen of the Keen Act. He was the guy in the wheelchair that was throwing up the... Yeah, Mr. Keen. Yeah. Um, as the attack on Angela's house commences, Lori discovers that Looking Glass has disguised himself as one of the cavalry. See, that's what's crazy about this timeline thing is while everyone is setting up the Cyclops members inside that church and everything's going on, uh, Angela's dealing with the shooting that we've seen from last week. So it's 
That whole shit is and crazy. And True had a must have already tipped off the Calvary that Cal was Manhattan. Yeah. Knowing and not caring that some of them will die and the rest of them will trap him. Well, they were just pawns in chess for yeah. her. Yeah. They were just pawns. 110%. Um, uh, yeah, Lori discovers that Looking Glass has disguised himself as one of the cavalry having survived the attack on his home. I love that. Don't say anything. Like that. Oh, yeah, like, don't turn around. Don't say anything. <laughs> like, yeah, once I heard his voice, I was like, fucking Tim Blake Nelson, he's I haven't so seen you in like a month. No, we have not seen him in a month. Yeah, he's also very good at uh, spouting off like, when he was talking to Lori, he was just spouting off like, Article 385 says we are permitted to keep our masks on at all times inside of a government official facility, and we don't got to be permitted to take off our like masks. you already know that yeah, answer. Like, yeah, like, he, like, he was so good at that. Um, do you want to talk about the pod for a bit, I guess? The, the weird racist detector pod? <laughs> <laughs> that is the greatest shit Just ever. random Have imagery? you now or ever thought about the 7th Cavalry? What is your name? What would you be your What would your be your response if I defecated on the American flag? It's like, do what? you think all Americans should pay taxes? <laughs> like on a scale of one to ten, how do you feel when you see images of a squid and shit like that? Like, oh, yeah. speaking of which, that tax question is an actual question because um, red predations is not money given to uh, people that dealt with um, uh, atrocities against uh, in race or whatever. It's um, tax exempt, tax exemption. <laughs> tax exemption so they it's not literally everything that's ever bad ever happened anywhere it's um there's like designated like i think like 40 designated events and if you can show that you are an, uh, a descendant then you will have your red red for red foundations which are basically all your salary is tax exempt which is why they are asking people they think might be racist if they think all americans should pay taxes yeah. That's that's what this podcast is for. God, yo, this between podcast this podcast and this show, this is the best day I've had in weeks. <laughs> it's like open up a, a Russian nesting doll. Um, yeah. So Joaquin explains. Joaquin Junior explains to the gathered audience about Cyclops' long-term plan to revolt against the President Refford by arranging racially charged events like White Knight, but instead discovered Manhattan's presence on Earth and changed their plans to take Manhattan's powers instead. What do you think about Keen's underwear? Very comic book accurate. Yeah, it was pretty comic book accurate. It was Definitely. pretty. It, was, it, lo- it looks pretty they good. They found a way to put that in. Um, but yeah, so his whole his whole plan initially was to create a bunch of racially charged events, um, hoping to just stir shit up. Dude, and that's then, a real. But that's real life shit. Hundred percent. That's what we, that's what our government really does. Stir up. Well, that's most governments have been accused. Most empires have been accused of manufacturing crisis level events to make the people docile keep them on their toes um but yeah he's a really good actor i'm i'm a little bit ashamed that he got kind of pigeonholed into this i feel like the joking character is a bit one note it's a bit two-dimensional i suppose it, it was very like you know like i guess it was just thrown in there to keep the people that are saying that this show is too woke Give him something to say that. But he is the thing, though, I feel like. I feel like he would be the biggest thing that people saying the show is too woke would have an issue with. He said black bitch, so I can't have yeah, no sympathy. But I also feel like when he said that, that was to let you know 
that it's not just a like we it's not just a I have different ideals than you. It's like, it's no, no, I'm racist. I think that you're lesser. I think that you're a lesser person, and they had to go ahead and say that. Angela shows up to try to stop the event, but is outmatched. Keen enters a booth, but just as the system is activated, the entire area is teleported to Greenwood by Trio. She needed the cavalry to capture Manhattan without him detecting her own involvement. Due to the cavalry's lack of knowledge uh, regarding safety measures surrounding nuclear energy and physics, Keen is liquefied during the process and his remains spill across the area once True opens the booth. True proceeds to kill the remaining members of the Cyclops on behalf of Will, and during this, Manhattan uses Keen's liquid remains to teleport Vite, Laurie, and Looking Glass to Karnak. Which is Antarctica. Yes. How did you feel about Lady True um, keeping a word for Will and killing all those people? Everyone's got secrets, but the ones that I like the most are the ones that like mean something in the end. Yeah. Like there's one. It's one thing to have like... Um, like the whole uh, Robert Redford secret shit that the squids didn't come from another dimension. Like when, uh, what's his face? When Wade finds that out, that's like a big. But this, this shit is freak. Manhattan, these writers, oh, I can't with this show of how amazing it is. But she did, yeah, she stood on, she, she did what she had to do though. Will wanted the members of the Cyclops killed and she killed them. His mission is complete, I guess, right? Which yeah, I was gonna ask probably... you, like, um, did they die before Manhattan teleported them? Like those, 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 the whole the psych- racist people. Yeah, all those. Psych- they never got teleported. They died. The the beams hit them, yeah, and they they were disintegrated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all right. She killed them. <laughs> they, I know. Um, then in the teleportation. Yeah, thing he happened, couldn't that... do it before because he didn't have any way to touch them. Using the liquid of Joe Keen Jr.'s body, he was able to because they were all touching it. He was able to transport them. Yeah, I was thinking when I was watching, I was like, "Oh wait, that's right. Doctor Manhattan can like move through particles of shit." Like, okay, there and we go. And he tells, uh, he Manhattan tells Angela he did not send her away because he didn't want to die alone, which is kind of sad. Yeah, I was just about to say that's so fucking sad. Do you buy this relationship more than her and him and uh, Lori? See, you know the thing about that is, is I didn't, I didn't get time. With Lori and John, the way I got time with Angela and John. I feel like the first 45 minutes to an hour that Dr. Manhattan and Lori were together, you that they did the writing so you see their separation more than their romanticism. Like, you get you, you see Lori and, and Dr. Manhattan have sex, but that's not even him. He just decided to create another part of him so he can continue doing his work in another room. Yeah. So there wasn't... There was no love connection there at all in that movie. I wonder where that com- I wonder where that happens. It's it's almost like he he got further and further away from humanity until he scared himself and then got closer. Yeah, so I I would like to say that the reason why he started like going like disassociating from society from reality was because he thought he was giving people cancer. So it's like if I'm going to give you cancer and I just want to hang out with you and I can't hang out with you, I just I'm just not going to hang out with anybody. It was one of those one of the like bubble boy instances where like you know the parent thinks that their kid has like a weak immune system so they throw them in a bubble. Yes, and he bubble boyed himself. Yeah, yeah, and you can't do that. You have to. The world's gonna be there, and all the stuff on the outside is gonna be there anyway. Uh, once you get out of that bubble, you, know, you gotta be careful about that. Um. At, oh. 
True activates the floating spear to take Manhattan's powers. Manhattan tells Angela that he loves her before he is destroyed and his powers captured. His actual statement is, she says, where are you now? He goes, I am in every moment with you all at the same time. That 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 actually made me cry because I thought of that. Yeah, it's, it made me cry. <laughs> and then he said, uh, love you, Angela, and he dies. At Karnak, Adrian uses the squid ra- rain-making... The squid rain-making teleportation device to send frozen squids, not regular squids, to fall in Greenwood, which will obliterate anything in a nearby area. He equates it to a Gatling gun from the sky, which I thought was pretty cool. Lori calls Angela in time to allow her and Bien to take cover while the squid rain destroys the spheres and kills True before the transfer can be completed. Angela takes shelter at the movie theater where Will is waiting for her with her children. Will reveals Manhattan has made a deal with himself and True. Knowing this end had to happen so that his powers would not be taken by those who would misuse them. Alright. Vite offers Lori and Looking Glass, the old Night Owl airship Archie, to return to society. Lori prepares to arrest Vite, with Looking Glass having a video proof that Vite was behind the squid attack. Vite attempts to talk his way out of it, but Looking Glass knocks him out. And he and Lori drag him aboard the ship. Yo, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but y'all gotta stop fucking with Vite, bro. Bro, man, I got so pissed off at that that they could have just let him get the win. But that's he why saved like, the world twice, George. But that's why I feel like this is Damon Lindelof saying that that original sin is not worth letting him go. You know? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, I think that what we see with, I think that what we see with the Crookshank situation and the Mister Phillips is is a commentary. On how Damon Lindelof, this is all me making it up. A commentary on how Damon Lindelof feels that Agent Vite feels about human bodies, like the one in the scope of one million. You know? Yeah. But, what's what's one million bodies to seven billion bodies? I understand and what's, that. What's but... two bodies when you know you can pull two bodies out of an ocean? That's why you stab and kill and throw them out into the atmosphere. I mean, the guy is also a virgin, so. Yeah, that's also so. That. He's got a lot of. Oh my God, is Adrian Vita incel? He's an. No, but he's <laughs> voluntarily celibate. That's what an incel is. No, that's in. That's the whole reason for the in part of the incel. Involuntarily celibate. So he's a cell. <laughs> he's a vol cell. He's a vol cell. Yeah. So I like Alexander the Great. I find such her- uh, he need hedonic, hedonic attractions he- to be hedonistic. a hedonistic. Hedonistic. Hedonistic uh, things to be a distraction. Oh my God, he's a freaking. Wait, let me see something here. <laughs> so, Adrian Veidt. I always spell this name wrong, but it's V E I D T. I D T, right? Yeah. But let's do V E I D T. Let's do. <laughs> so if you turn Vite around and if you make that D into an R, that's T R I E U. Wow. Lady True, everybody. Lady True, ladies and gentlemen. Uh that did absolutely nothing for those listening, but I hope you guys were, <laughs> were writing that down and got the same answers that we did, because that's what we're doing over here. Anyway. Um Vite oh yeah. Oh, yes, yeah, you're right. Adrian Adrian gets locked away. Um, there's many things that can happen between now and then, you know, um, I think a lot of these endings, I think like the, especially like Beyond got away, 
Did she get away? She got yeah, away? Yeah, she got away. All right. So, Beyond is safe. What What's going to become of that? Obviously, she would be given all of my God stuff. That means her daughter died. Not even her mom. Her daughter died. Oh, yes. my God. Yeah. This show is amazing. This she would have to, like, reclone her daughter and give her... But she's young. She's young with a like an eight year old woman's mentality and memories and stuff. So who knows what kind of craziness? If they wanted to do a season two, she can get up to. Um, Angela offers Will a room at her home, and she takes. Her I love that whole home. only for a few nights. You know, I love when they throw that only for a few nights. Most, how do I word this right? Usually, something so cliche and like tacked on would be a dialogue that bothers me. Especially since I don't like, you know, like, labored exposition. But when it comes to, like, that specific line that, well, we have a guest room, you know, you're more than welcome to stay. Uh, uh, only for a few nights, you know, like, yeah, those yeah. always, that always tells me that it's like, it's never going to be for a few nights. They're trying to let you know in a subtle way, I want you to live with me. I love that writing. I love yeah, that. Angela I have a, and I have a guest grandfather, room. somebody who lost both her parents, you know, and then lost her grandmother. Uh, now she has her grandfather. She has more of herself. Right, she knows who she is because she knows who her grandfather is. She knows the fight that her grandfather fought. She knows the fight that she fought. She knows the fight that Cal fought. So, uh, the show is more about identity and more about realizing who you are through the shared traumas and the shared issues that we go through in humanity. Um, but she cleans up a mess of eggs from an argument between her and Doctor Manhattan earlier, and she recalls that Manhattan once told her that he could transfer her his powers to someone through an organic medium. Uh, in the middle of the night, or in the dawn of September 24, 2019, finding an unbroken egg, Angela goes to her pool, eats the egg, and prepares to walk on water, the screen cutting to black as her foot touches the water. And October 1st, 2019, Dale PD is officially fired from the FBI. <laughs> and that's it. That's a linear telling of that story. That is, hopefully, we didn't forget anything. I was leaving this portion of the cast to just geek out about things in general. Uh, talk about things. Um, that God, this show is fucking a masterpiece, yeah, a man, lot. dude. T- um, Trent Reznor. We should talk about the score. Atticus Ross from Nine Inch Both Nails with the guitar. Yeah. Yo, those, every yeah, time you hear that crunchy guitar sound, that's Nine that, Inch Nails. Um, the Life on Mars cover is really, really good. Um, they do a cover of there's a cover of Careless Whisper. I don't know if they do it, but there's a cover of Careless Whisper that was really, really good. Um, yeah, that was Careless Whisper. I like all the all the like Blood on the Smiley Face references. Um, there's a lot of egg references. When That's what I'm trying to tell you. I there's think so that eggs. they were. I think that they were doing that on purpose. Now, now, now hear me out for a second. All right. When we first meet Angela Abar, she's giving a science lesson on eggs. Yes. Well, she's giving a a baking lesson on it. But was it? Ba- oh yeah, because she was gonna be a the baker. Yeah. And she's showing them how to make a Vietnamese fruit fruit cake, cake or something like yeah. that that she used to eat all the time. Yes. And when you when it's first shot, it's shot from up above. So you see the eggs in a smiley face, and one of the egg has the red in it with the blood, blood drop yeah. on the tear. But I'm just yeah, so blood freaking... drops on Judd's uh, badge. We see that happen. But it's just um, now that I'm thinking of it that when we first get introduced to this character, we meet her with eggs. Yeah. And then when the show ends, it's her eating an egg to become Doctor Manhattan. It's fucking. This yeah, is... and it's it's a lot of the which came first. You it's... know, which which was predetermined. The chicken of the Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, which was predetermined. Which was uh. Which was which was fate, which was faded, you know. I think all that stuff is interesting. I really like um, Looking Glass. I like that character. Oh yeah, um, he's. Should great. they do a sequel? 
Do you want a sequel? I mean, you just saw the last episode, so. You all might... right, all right. If we're gonna speak like on it, uh, if we're gonna speak about fanboying out and just geeking out, yeah, I need a season two. I need Regina King as Doctor Manhattan. That would be so amazing. But as now that I'm thinking more logically, more Dan like, it's like that's the perfect ending I could have ever asked for. Yeah, because it leaves just much. Because look many at the Watchmen the, movie the, the way the it ends. The Watchmen mo- movie and book end with the newspaper journal. finding Rorschach's journal. The right wing newspaper finding which Rorschach's you, journal. Which yeah. you could already like put it in your head. Oh my God, that could be a sequel. Yeah, it's well, what's going to happen when the world finds out? Well, the world doesn't find out because a right wing uh, news site posted it and people are doing that. And they would have probably found out about with the internet more, but there is no internet. Because, because technology has been yeah, exactly. And yeah. that's why it should just end like this. I've said it all too many times and the only two shows that I can truly pull for uh, reference is The Leftovers and Breaking Bad. I feel like those two shows told the story in the most limited amount of time possible but gave us everything. Were you happy there was no... Well, not happy, but... Were you disappointed that there was no um, Night Owl? I'm more upset that the fact that the man's been in jail for like 25 years. That's a quarter of a life. Yeah. That is 25% yeah, of a life. Yeah, because when you consider like other people, like he didn't do nothing as bad as Dr. Manhattan did. Well, he, he didn't do probably, anything as bad as Adrian's He done. did break out Rorschach he out did, of prison. But now Rorschach is dead. Like I don't think he did the worst of everyone in that in that book, but now he's the one who's dealing with it the most, I guess. Which kind of sucks, but it is what it is. I mean, he, yeah. Bro, t- t- Plus, there's a small circle of help made for the people who develop a, a dildo like that. So, <laughs> they did. They did. Yeah. Them two, they did. I don't understand what that was for. <laughs> I don't want to get into it. Oh man, but it's it. so messed up because this dude was going through freaking impotence in the book. Yes. Like he was legit going through impotence where they had to go out save kids it from a been burning even building. Darker if this thing had like a strap, uh, detachable thing. Cause like oh well then I, now I get it she misses she misses her ex <laughs> so now you're you're trying to fill in that void uh, night owl um, and Lori has an owl called who called who who and what was the whole Atticus not uh, Archibald well what famous Archimedes Archimedes is Ar- the name of the, the ship I don't know oh, Archimedes think- is the name of the ship yeah but why the owl was somebody famous. Like he named he named the Archimedes is the owl. If I'm not mistaken, Archimedes is the owl in Merlin. Yes, is it? That was it. Excalibur. That's what brings it yeah. full circle. He was, wow, yeah, holy crap! Yeah, Just like right. how Adrian Excalibur, was was a Archimedes. whole freaking. Uh, and his thing is Merlin. That's his name of his company is Merlin Technologies. How does an owl get inspired by King Arthur and the Archimedes. Knights of the Round Table? I don't know, because I don't think Hollis Mason took took all those same things. No, that was straight Dryberg. Yeah. Just like Vite was was all Greek and Egyptian. Like, but that's, like I said, that's a great thing. And maybe in a couple years, we'll revisit this series and be able to see everything way clearer now. You know, now that we have all the clues that will uh, inform us. Glad I got to do this with you. Like, I'm, I'm glad, you- especially like... That I got, I got you to watch to get into the show, to watch the show, so we can do this thing. Cause I just, I don't know. I feel like anything that's comic booky, that's out of the wheelhouse of like the main comic book characters, we should jump in on it. I also think that I, I'm, I'm, I'm also excited at the idea that more and more creators are starting to realize that comic books are not one note, like they're not one dimensional. They can be whatever kind of show you want them to be. Um, 
And I hope people keep taking these chances. In 2019, more than anything else, with Doom Patrol, Joker, now and this, now Watchmen, now this Swamp Thing. Hell, even Umbrella know, Academy was Umbrella amazing. Academy, we are really getting, we're really seeing the edges being pushed on what what constitutes. Oh, that's a superhero show. Oh, that's a comic book show. It's like no, it's just just a show. It's based on good shit, but it's just a good show. You probably should just watch this good show. No, exactly. If if all else, watch it because it's a good show. Yeah. Like if you have the comic book knowledge, all the power to you. If you're listening to this because you just you know you're a fan of us and you, but you don't really watch comic books, but but you just like to listen, then honestly, go and watch the show. It's really good. Let's should we talk about uh, that like the whole Ozymandias situation? Like he's sitting, sitting over there, he's living with basically clones that adore him, but he gets so frustrated that he kills a bunch of them and he makes one of them his enemy. I to, feel to like fights and battle and. I feel like he's trying to relive the actual Ozymandias poem. Okay. I could like, that. look upon my ye works and despair and all that, and the ye mighty works is, a, is a paradise. What about the year um, the year-long trial? I mean, they were saying some damning stuff about dude, that. Dude, I want, I want that as an episode. Why couldn't we get a 50-minute episode of this dude just being roasted by a bunch of clones? <laughs> that is true. He's being roasted by, like, a little bit less than regular life. Like what is going? He literally, because we see in the show, he literally goes to a to a river and pulls them out the river and puts them in and a microwave. That also shows you forced celibacy because he could have had anyone he wanted. He could have had one from either gender, and he could have lived his life, but he did not want to. He, yep, because all those hedonistic stuff <laughs> is a distraction. That's it, Miss Crookshanks. Miss Crookshanks. Mister Phillips. I love I love Jeremy Irons as Ozymandias. Let me give all these people that just do. So you got Regina King coming in as uh, Angela Abar, aka Sister Knight. Uh, Louis Gossett Jr. I can't believe they really got Lou Gossett Jr. LGJ. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson is Wade Tillman, aka Looking Glass. Gene Smart is Lori Blake. James Wolk is Joaquin Jr. Hong Chow is Lady True. Also, really, really good work. Really, really good. A cold delivery. Really matter of fact um, line. Oh, she had. Delivery. She was. She was really, really good. She, as far as like the new characters that we've never been introduced to, I guess it would be Looking Glass, uh, Sister Knight, Will Reeves would be. Uh, well, that's the crazy thing. I feel like the beginning of this show, we're meant to ask, where are the people we know? Yeah, but they don't give us that answer. Instead, they introduce us to new people and have us deal with it. No, but that's once great. we deal with it. They start introducing people we know and go, wait a minute. So it is about that. It is. It reminds me of, of um, the episode, uh, season two of the leftovers, the first episode. You're following a different family. Yeah, because it when completely it ends, opens up to. But miracle. when it ends, you realize how both intersect. Because the end of that episode was the Garveys moving to the house right. next and door. Right, and so you see how it all intersects. That's very Lindelof of like. Oh, he wants that. Yeah, because we really did for like a whole what what those hour episodes. We spent like thirty minutes with these new family. Just a random family, never knew nothing about them. Just dropped into the world, just like in this. Just dropped into the world. They're dealing with it. That dude John is an asshole, though. Ain't no miracles and miracles. Bring some of those guys over here, man. Bring some of these guys over. Bring some. I want to see Homeboy and Watchmen. I want to see um. uh, Shit, that's what they should have casted. That's who. Anybody. Any the the guy that plays John in season two left over could have been. I think anybody. in a different situation it would have been he would have played John or he would have played uh Cal or whatever. But you could have even voiced him. Just do a voiceover. Yeah, that wouldn't been. Only thing I would have liked if they would have kept uh Crudup's voiceover from Watchmen. See, you know. But what? then again, 
they're not adapting that story. Yeah, so why yeah, exactly. Even pull from there. If anything, you could surmise that he always sounded like Cal, like Cal or Manhattan did in that episode, in the book. Because you don't know how he sounds in the but book. But you know, what? it's also crazy because the more that I was listening to this actor playing Manhattan talk, the more I was like, damn, I kind of like your speech patterns a little bit more than Billy Crudup. Now, don't get me wrong, Billy Crudup's delivery was on point, but. The guy that was doing Manhattan's speech pattern here where everything was just like this. And it's like, I already know what I'm about to say, and I'm just going to have to say it anyways. Yeah. And matter of fact, and matter of fact, I loved his deliveries. Um, Tom Meissen played Mr. Phillips, and Sarah Vickers played Miss Crookshanks. I wonder if they played them all. I wonder if they had to like stand over here, stand over there, make a face. Oh, no. They they 100%. Every time that they would have those clones, that that filming must have been days like especially when in the trial, that that's probably why that they had like uh, all the women, all the the one that plays Miss Crookshanks, wear the same maid uh, outfit. Because yeah, if you yeah. see, all the women were wearing the same maid outfit, but all the Mister Phillips were like wearing these different like outfits. So it would be hell to have like this woman change into a hundred outfits and to stand in a hundred different places. Don Johnson plays Judd Crawford. Don uh, Johnson. And then you got Yaya Abdul Mateen the second as Calvin Cal Abar. Um, My man's name is Yaya. Oh, and Regina King is... Uh, that was the first one you said. No, but she plays Sister Knight. And uh, Sister Knight is a nun. And nuns are thought to be the bride of God. Oh, my God. And so... <laughs> oh, my God. Damn it. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. But one, but, one that they, but one that they pulled on the internet is the Excalibur stuff. Excalibur X Cal Abar. Her ex Cal Abar, yeah, it's all there, bro. It's this all is, there. This show's a masterpiece. It's all there. It's like an Easter so egg fun. full of Easter eggs. <laughs> it's like great. you open the Easter egg and it's full of Easter eggs inside. And the funny thing is, I don't even think we covered it all, but you guys will get to let us know. I'm pretty sure you guys will ream us pretty good if we forgot anything that's of note. Um, but yeah, man, this was a hell of a thing to cover, and it was. I, I last night is when it, I had the idea to cover it chronologically, and. It gave me a humongous headache because I was like, "How am I gonna do this?" Luckily, Slate found um, Slate.com had a, a a timeline, and I made some edits uh, to lengthen some of the entries to talk about some of the bigger themes that go on in the show. Um, but I'll link that in the show notes. And um, if there is a season two, we'll be right here to cover it. And the only way to make sure that you, that you know that if there's a season two, we gonna announce it. If there's a season two podcast, we gonna announce it. But the only way for you guys to know that. Is to tell them, continue George. to listen to us wherever you guys listen to us. You're listening to us right over now. Over a hundred episodes, over two years, my friends. Yes, man, there's over two hundred um, hours of content currently provided by the Major Issues Podcast, which is brought to you by Comic Book Click, and it's available wherever podcasts are found: Podbean, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, Apple Podcast App, um, uh, YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Anywhere podcasts are found. We don't want to hear that. I can't find it. I I'm can't find it. Major oh, issue podcast. Coming 2020, we're looking for a way for you guys to find it even quicker. And even easier. That's my Damon Lindelof Easter egg thing. You leave it right there. You do not eat it yet. All right? You're not going to float. So, um, <laughs> yes. Did she float, George? Did know. she float? No. They awesome. all float. I, I knew it. Once you put her foot over the thing, I'm like, they're going to cut it. They're going to cut it. Yep. Here's the music. Yep. They're going to cut it. That's Damon Lindelof for you. And he set me up for it, too. He's like, yo, top. he's like, you know Lindelof, right? You already know it's going to happen once it hits this scene. It and reminded I'm just me like, of um, Inception with the spinning top. Oh, the, the spinning. 
I, there's actually a whole like 50 minute video on YouTube that explains the ending of Inception isn't really somebody, well. Isn't, wasn't there somebody else that was like, and you can tell that it's going to fall over, but it doesn't fall like. No, but these people, the, the, this YouTube video actually uh, did a fucking like in depth analysis. He went like frame by frame by oh second by gosh. second. Like it's a whole like 42 minute to 50 minute video explaining that uh, what's his face is not in. Does he have a reflectatine mask on, though? He does not have a reflectatine mask. Which seems to be this universe's tinfoil hat, I guess, right? That was my, literally, my first thought of when I saw that he has, like, it in his hat, and he has it all over. It's like, damn, are they calling him the tinfoil conspiracy kook? He's protecting himself, bro. Just like he was protected on that night. But you guys can protect yourself by listening to this podcast wherever podcasts are found. And if you can't find them on all those pretty apps that we just mentioned, just go to Google. Type in Major Issues Podcast and we'll be the first ones to pop right up. Because we're always talking about the latest and greatest things to come to comic book and comic book media. Uh, So yeah, thank you for doing that. But now this is where I'm going to ask you guys for something. All right, we've been in this we've been in this friendship for quite some time, depending on what episode you listen to. And if you're listening to this one, you know, Realize that uh, what what day is today? It's December seventeenth. I sit here across from Dan the Comic Fan as I uh, podcast with him, but now it's December twenty fifth, and our episode is coming out next week. Which is worse, where you guys get to write in is and tell the 25th us twenty fifth Wednesday Christmas baby. Yeah. Oh man, that's next. One week. week from when this episode drops, we will be dropping our next episode, our Which is Worse series, in which we talk about two. I wouldn't say bad, two maligned, critically maligned movies, and we try to convince each other which one was actually worse. This one is a Christmas edition, a Christmas edition comic book uh, movie edition of which is worse, where Dan, the comic man, will do his best to defend (laughs) Iron Man 3. (laughs) As I show that Iron Man 3 is a worse film than uh, Batman Returns. Both films take place around Christmas. Both are not the franchise's greatest, but we will be going head to head. And the reason why I'm letting you guys know that a week in advance, because I see time as a flat circle, is because you guys can chime in between now and next week. Go to our Facebook. I'll go ahead and I'll put up a poll tomorrow when this episode drops, and you guys get to vote on which you guys think is worse, and we'll read those results. I don't know how long right I've been last there. doing these which is worse, especially the one that's going to come up this might, in, in like March. This might be which is worse five. This is which is worse five. It is? Yeah. Because if you say that we do them quarterly, yeah. like like four times a year, yeah. and we've only done it for two years now, and this would be our fifth. I think which is worse. I'm almost sure that this is our fifth. X- it was uh, X-Men Origins versus Green Lantern. Yeah. Then it was Spider-Man 3 versus Amazing Spider-Man 2. The women. Th- then it was Elektra versus Catwoman. Fox. And then it was um, Ghost, Ghost Rider 2 versus Fan Stick. Yeah. So and now it would five. be number five. Yeah, this is our number the drive five. drive for five. Exactly. So come on. We want to know your opinions on this. We'll be arguing like maniacs, but we want to know what you guys think, too. So hit us up across all social media at Facebook.com slash ComicBookClick, Instagram at ComicBookClick. Use the hashtag ComicBookClick to talk about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. Um, we're at Major Issue CBC on Twitter. Um, we are everywhere, literally everywhere. Just look up Comic Book Click, and all those links will be in the show notes and description of this episode. So you guys can go ahead and do that there. But, yeah. That's all that's coming. We got, um, which is worse, Christmas edition next. And after that, we'll have our two thousand and uh, our 2020 New Year's predictions. We'll be talking about some of the properties we know will be coming out in 2020 and how we feel about them. We're, you know, testing the waters on that. So write in, guys. You can always write in at comicbookclick at gmail.com. But again, 
all the places on social media, and all those links are going to be in the show notes. Um, but my name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. I'm Dan the Comic Book Man. And this has been our Watchmen on HBO. Our uh, Wokeman. Our Wokeman on HBO uh, recap and review. And remember that it's always Wednesday. You're always listening to this podcast. And we're always with you at every second of every day, which means that we're always the click. And you, yes, you are always. Thank you.